Hey, this is Scotty Young. You're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. There you go. Oh, I'm excited for this week. Oh, yeah. Not only because Chris is... Because we got a great guest this week. <laughs> uh, what a week so far. Ah, oh, terrible, terrible. That's what this is the tonic for all the hills. If my uh, Wacom pen shot bullets, I would do that. I would just, I would just put it right to my forehead and just. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we don't want you to play yourself. We would produce the show if you don't do that. True. We would do all the crap. Exactly. Yeah. Well, remember, you lured me into this by promising me I never would. It is a pain in the butt. But thankfully, I've got it down to a science. It's safe to say I'm the only one of the four of us that has never actually produced a comp podcast. It is pretty safe to say that, yeah. Uh, it's very safe to say that. Like Mr. Caters, you are the talent. He's I was going to say, it's, it's pays me the talent. Yeah. Speaking of that, my friend from here is a little bit on the fritz. Eat some free on it. <laughs> and this bowl of green M&M's? That's it. I found a red one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you did. You pick, you, by the way, Vince, you might have thought of picking a shorter intro on the day that we have a guest waiting to be introduced. Ah, it's true. But I think he'll <laughs> like the music. <laughs> All right, good. Well, he's a big hip-hop fan. Uh, maybe he won't. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody. 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 280. I'm Vince B. Yes, you are. And dot, dot, dot. I am David Price. Yep. This is true. And I am Nikolai the Wolfman. Oh boy! No, you're not Nikolai the Wolfman. You penises though. <laughs> you are Jason Wood, everybody. What's up? Yes, and you don't have to have two penises to get your comic books really cheap. Just go to our sponsor, Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your favorite funny books and collectibles at huge, massive discounts. 35 to 75 percent off their monthly spotlighted specials. They ship them up all nice and secure, bring them right to your house. You don't even have to leave the couch. If you are a first-time customer, enter the code that the lovely David Price will tell you into the pre-moistened slot, and you will get an extra 8% off your already deeply discounted order. David, what's that discount? That lovely code is EOC8. Yes, that's the code, not the discount. The discount's 8%. So it's EOC8. We'll get you an extra 8 They do not mind late orders or order additions bring them in they'll just add them or put you down for more books they don't care they love you and you can get your previews which came out today and i do have to say the selection for this month is crapola really yeah there's not a whole hell of a lot to order uh uh previews is really cheap like a buck and change so do that get it dcbservice.com they're the best and uh, in addition to today being the king's birthday, happy yes. birthday, Jack. Birthday, Jack. We have an awesome, amazingly talented guest this week. Far good. Far too good for the likes far of us. Good. Yeah. Uh, Jason, who is this person? Well, yeah, this is a guy that um, that we we have, have talked about many times. Uh, our listeners have been begging for us to try and get him on the show. Uh, he really needs no introduction, but... Since this is a show, I guess we need to introduce him. Yeah. Uh, it's a man who is as comfortable in the world of Mobius's science fiction wonderment as he is in Korean manhwa. It's a man who once found himself drawing porn 
on Christmas Day while his roommate was having sex in the next room over. It's a man who's created some of the best creator-owned comics of the last decade. The man, the myth, the legend, mm -hmm. Mr. Brandon Graham. Yes. Welcome, Brandon. <laughs> Thank you. It <clears throat> was quite an introduction. I was trying to forget about that Christmas thing. What's that? I was trying to forget about that Christmas thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I remember reading that in an interview a couple years back, I think you did, with like the Comics Journal, and I was pissing my pants at the thought of it, so I figured I had to work it into the intro. <laughs> I was also listening to a... a Lord of the Rings audiobook at the time to make it. Oh, even that's better. right. Oh, that's I believe you creepier. said it's the worst life. Is that right? What's that? I believe you. You said at the time it was the worst day of your life, right? <laughs> it was. You know, it was. It was a specific low point of hilarity of where I was, I was trying to drown out my my roommate's sex by turning up a Lord of the Rings audiobook and drawing <laughs> a porn comic so I could make my rent. And it was just this this moment of like how low have we gotten. Nice, excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming aboard. We're, we're uh, as I said, we're we're big fans and happy to have you aboard. And uh, our, our our listeners are ravenous Brandon Graham fans as well. So, yeah. well, cool. Well, thanks a lot for having me on here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You, you do us an honor. Uh, I'm so excited to get in here. But the thing is, it's daunting because talking about your work, even if we just said, "All right, we're going to limit it to profit, nothing but profit talk," that would take like two, three hours right That's there. True. Which would be a shame to limit it to profit, because obviously then we wouldn't get to talk about Brandon's creator. That's, and stuff. that's what I'm saying. the 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 but, body of work may may be not may not be that big, but it's deep. Yeah, I mean, no. you know, um, we can get into multiple warheads for a couple hours. It's just like we like to talk, especially about really good comics. You like to talk. Well, yeah, we do. And um, I mean, I've said it. Uh, whenever your name's brought up, we, we always, there's a couple keywords that we like to float out there. You're a world builder. Um, you have, in, in my opinion, a disturbing attention to detail. <laughs> like the, you, you just won't design the world. You'll design the buildings and the, like form and function. You, it looks like, to me anyway, you sit down and think, all right, I need a toaster here. How, how would a really cool toaster work? And, and you will actually design a toaster, you know, and and that I think adds amazing depth to your work. Well, you're very nice to me, but uh, I mean that, that's what something that's kind of so appealing to me about comics as a medium is is you can kind of psychoanalyze, especially single creator comics. You can kind of psychoanalyze somebody by you know how they would draw a toaster, or you know every element if it's kind of pouring out of their brain or their their impression of the world. So it's kind of seeing that that vision of how they see the world. That was kind of the, the goal with profit too, is to change it. When we switch up artists, it's like we're switching up worldviews. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if Yanni or Simon draw the characters, it's kind of how they see the world. Right. Yeah. yeah and that, that was the thing about King city when, when we kind of are led into uh P tie fighters crib and we see all the bric-a-brac on the counter and everything. And it, it, I was stunned at just how, dense the 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 living space was and it's just like be honest is that all on the fly or or do you actively think about like i said form and function of all these uh, background bric-a-brac really i mean any uh, most people would just throw it down okay i fleshed out the room enough i mean let's let's just focus on the characters but everything takes center stage in your books is that well, just spur I, of the I moment have, i have the opposite what were you saying is that spur of the moment, or do you do you dwell on that stuff? Uh, I mean, that's the 
the advantage of it taking six or eight hours to draw every page is you don't really, I don't really have any choice. I kind of have to dwell on it, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed with artists that do like, especially like you look at like Katsuro Tomo's work in Akira, mm -hmm. and he's got a thousand windows, and it's probably just him and one other guy or two yeah, other exactly. guys, all of those things. And I don't know how they stop from being just intensely bored. So all that background stuff that I add is me just kind of knowing that I have to fill space in it, but, but keep myself entertained. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, before I want to go down the rabbit hole, but before we do, Vince uh, is so excited to have you on. He forgot that uh, we're supposed to tell everyone what we're drinking. Vince. Oh yeah. See, I, I, I lose it when I get excited. I know you're touching yourself inappropriately. I know. Understand. I'm drinking Pepsi, oh, yes. diet Pepsi. See, I told, I see, I told Brandon that he was going to have to have a drink with him and he told me he was going to drink coffee. And then I said, I try to make him feel better by saying that we had a host that wasn't going to be drinking tonight either. And that's you. Yeah. So, David, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, some Buffalo Trace and a little bit of seltzer water. Look at you. You've made quite the trend. You've become our Chris. Someone you've has become, to. You've become the whiskey drinker. I have. Uh, and I've become you because I am yet again yeah. drinking some, uh, some grape. I am drinking some Fat Barrel Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, and it's, uh, it's really good. And it's actually it's good in spite of the fact that it's got a Shakespeare quote on the label. So <laughs> there you go. Othello. But either way, it's good grape. Excellent. And, and Brandon, are you drinking coffee, or did you switch it up for us? No, I've got a, I've got a, I've got water in a, in a mug that says creativity on the side of it. All right, all right, that's all right. <laughs> I'm, uh, you guys are slumming with me, beverage boys. <laughs> that's all right, all right, all right. So, so, so back at it, Vince. I'm sorry, I, uh, okay, I interrupted cool. your groove, but uh, um, uh, Brandon, I first encountered your artwork. In the pages of Cinema Sewer. Oh, cool. Mr. Bougie's uh, disgusting little zine. I love it. I love every page of that thing. And uh, I, yeah. I, he's a great cartoonist. Yeah, and, and uh, he lives near me, too. Him and his wife are about two blocks from my place. You're uh, up in Canada now, right? Or no? Yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, okay. Uh, and and just your, your little spot illustrations and the attention... You uh, lavished on the ladies appropriately enough. I mean, you know, it, it is cinema sewer. I thought, man, this guy's awesome. I got to find more stuff. And you know, initially it was kind of tough to you know to find work by you. Certainly, uh, the beginnings of of your style, and it makes so much sense now. You were um, originally a street artist, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I was. I was originally. I grew up around a lot of comic books. And uh, both of my parents read comic books. My, my older brother read comics. And then living in Seattle, I just <clears throat> I didn't have any access to anyone else doing comics. And everyone around me was doing graffiti. So I kind of fell into it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I have no conception of what that kind of, um, what creating in that element is like. Is, uh, do you have any harrowing stories of uh, <laughs> your best pieces or... Uh, I'm not too good at spray paint. I, I got chased a couple times by security guards and whatnot, but <clears throat> you know, it's like I was I was 20, so it's kind of the time to do something stupid. Yeah, it is true. Did, did uh, didn't you didn't I read somewhere that one of your one of your good buddies though uh, in the uh, graffiti scene like once spray painted like an entire train like different cars? Yeah, it's this guy named Jabber. He's really uh -huh. impressive. He. He did a couple things like that. Yeah, each car was done in a different style. He had like a Crazy. West style with kind of bolts and a science fiction style and everything. He he actually did a um he did an entire 
four-story building every window once. He was, he was very impressive. He went into stand-up comedy last time I was talking to him. No way. Now, was the four-story building commissioned or? Oh no, this is all this is all illegal stuff. Wow, that that takes stones, man. He once did I mean, this incredibly impressive thing where he uh, there was this tunnel in uh, in downtown Seattle, kind of connecting two neighborhoods, and uh, he really smartly just took a bucket of uh, of water and a, and a giant sponge and went through this filthy tunnel that was all kind of uh, bathroom tile on it and just used the sponge and cleaned off the wall. So it's this bright white of his name on this dirty surface. That's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. That's Stuff like that's interesting because it's not technically illegal. True. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the cleaning. You're cl- <laughs> you're oh, sanitation. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you still uh, keep tabs on the, the, um, the graffiti scene or have you parted ways with that? I, I pay attention to it. There's a guy in my neighborhood now who writes... <clears throat> Excuse me, you write to John Cusack, which I find is hilarious. This is kind of that is funny. Sprawl. John Cusack, and then sometimes they'll write Cusack Shakur, which I really like. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I must yeah. admit that my wife, uh, it, my wife, in no small part, married me because when we first were dating, she thought I looked like John Cusack. So nice. Uh, our, our political views, I don't know, they're aligned, but yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so, Brandon, one of the things I think that's fascinating about your style, right? Well, first of all, you're self-taught, right? I mean, you you pretty much just, if I recall, just started drawing and. You've you've had no quote unquote formal training, right? Yeah, but I, I grew up kind of in a an artist family, so yeah. Your your brother's an artist, right? And your I think your mom is uh, too as well, right? Yeah, my mom's a, a writer, but her her father was a was a pennant illustrator that was fairly successful. Okay, but one of the things that that I think when people talk about your style, like you have a very distinctive style, but I think that that uh, the the thing that you can't help but take away is like to me, you're the the ultimate in terms of like creator expression and that when I look at your work, I see all of the things that you're influenced by and they're all such disparate things. Like you've got graffiti in there, you know, that you, you have it all over your books. You've got, you know, you've got manga stylings, you've got like detailed sci-fi stylings. Cause I know you're a big Mobius fan. Like, is that like a conscious thing or do you just view that it's like an evolution of all the interests that you just have acquired over your years and it just, you can't help but incorporate it. Yeah. I don't think it's a conscious thing. I guess that's kind of how, I feel like that's kind of how people are, and I'm just trying to express that. You know, it's like nobody is is just into one thing. You'll you'll kind of you know everyone will kind of surprise their friends by you know being into country music and then you know Battlestar Galactica or whatever. Yeah. It's all over the map. You just you just uh, you just articulated David right there. <laughs> I mean, once you know that you were uh, a street artist, when you look at King City. And multiple warheads. I mean, it just clicks. It makes so much sense because that that urban sprawl in in King City that's as much a character as you know Joe. I mean, it, it's it's omnipresent in your work. That that urban landscape is always there. And now that I, you know that's was your environment. That's where you worked for however many years. You know, it just makes it clicks. It makes sense to me. Uh, I, I like peeling back the skin a little bit and finding out you know what's going on underneath there. Yeah, it's interesting too because graffiti is such a kind of related art form to comics in a lot of ways, and graffiti is very influenced by comics. You know, Von Baudet kind of inventing a lot of the styles before he, without even knowing it, yep. he died kind of before it blew up. And uh, you know, there's so many comic book themed murals of graffiti. There's Spawn murals and Hulk murals everywhere. Oh yeah, and uh, it's kind of a weird one sided relationship too because comics doesn't really uh, love graffiti as much as graffiti loves. <laughs> So, I mean, speaking of peeling back the onion, I mean, so I guess 
again for our listeners that that maybe don't know your work as much you you you're you're um i mean you're from well i shouldn't say you weren't born in seattle but but you spent much of your childhood in seattle right yeah i grew up there and um and then you i think headed to new york from there and then ended up in canada somehow yeah that's that's exactly i moved to new york in in 99 and stayed there five years and then back to seattle and then met my my wife marion who also does comics and moved up to canada so so we could uh, actually live in the same city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get to Marion because yeah. Vince, Vince and I both uh, read, you know, Walrus. Obviously, it just came out, and we'll talk about that. But uh, I think we both sent each other emails, uh, like you know, kind of crossing streams. We said the same exact Marianne's thing. Your muse, yeah. You know, I think she's very much your muse, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> she eat that, but yes, yeah, you know. Um, but uh, so one of the things I, I didn't know about you, have in spite of having been a fan of your work for a bunch of time, is that. Uh, I nearly fell over when I realized that, like, one of the first kind of entrees you had into comics was as as one of Justin's assistants, Justin Norman, otherwise known as Moritat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, that just cracks me up because I met Justin, um, our, our co-host Chris, who isn't on tonight, unfortunately. He and his um, his good friend Sal put on a, uh, a very artist-focused uh, little small con in Chicago a few years ago called Windy City. I was I flew in to attend it, and um, when I was arriving at the airport, we also were meeting up with uh, Chris. Was also picking me up, and he was picking up Justin um, and, and Richard Starkings. And like so, I had never met Justin at the time. I knew his work from Elephant Men and stuff. And I remember taking sitting in the back seat of Chris's car in the drive from the airport to uh, probably the worst vegan restaurant I've ever eaten at, uh, <laughs> and and Justin telling me that he he got his start like drawing porn comics. And like I, I was I didn't know the guy at the time. Like it was the first time I met him, so I thought, is he kidding me? Like is he pulling my leg? Like you know. But then and then like it's just kind of funny to then hear, you know, fast forward to see that that like I know he's had such a big influence on the industry in terms of like getting some other guys in the biz. I, but I had right. no idea you had that connection. And then you kind of had like a similar path in the same vein. Yeah, so. Justin's really really cool. I, I always call him. He's like my comic book godfather. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was one of the first. Uh, kind of professional comic artist that I that I made friends with, and he's I guess he's like five or six years older than me, and he, he kind of took me under his wing and and uh, introduced me to publishers. And at the time, he was just doing porn star biography comics, right, out of this little studio in Pioneer Square, and uh, and we kind of bonded over European comics and Japanese comics. And uh, it was great. do you know the story about his his pen name Moritat? He told it to me, but I think our listeners would love to hear it. It's it's very simple. It's just he picked a name where shelved he gets between Manara and Mobius. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> it says a lot about his motivations. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Now, let me ask you. I mean, he because um, I own a couple pieces of his art, um, but he works nowadays. He works in such small scale. Like he works on eight by like an eight and a half, like a regular piece of paper. He, he actually he takes an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper and folds it in half, and that's two pages. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, it's funny you say that because um, a friend of mine that uh, actually uh, another podcaster bought um, a page of his from um, from the uh, All Star Western. Hex? Oh yeah, 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 yeah that's the All Star yeah. Western. Right. But he bought it like sudden. Like he bought it based on the image, but he didn't realize how small it was. And then right. it was it a two page spread. And he got it. Yeah, so he ended up selling it to me because he was like. He was like, "Oh, this is small," <laughs> but yeah, um, but that's cool. So, so yeah, so you were in Seattle, and you know, you're kind of like doing your thing. And I think, you know, um, I mean, I guess you, you, 
I don't want to say thug life, but you 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 weren't exactly it wasn't exactly like you weren't living like uh like the freshmen of Bel Air in Seattle, and then you kind of uh like school wasn't your scene, right? You kind of were just you made a pretty quick decision early in your life that art was your thing, right? Yeah, which I don't know if it was a great decision, but yeah, I dropped out in my I, basically the last time I was seriously in school was middle school, so it's been a while, and I, I made it to the beginning of high school, but wasn't very serious about it, and then kind of. Decided I was just going to do comic books full time at sixteen or something. I didn't get a book published until I was nineteen. You know, and, th- that just when I when I realized that about you, I was shocked. Just because I mean, you're definitely a. Um, I think you break the mold in the sense that, like, from a stereotype of someone who didn't like who dropped out of school. I mean, you like if I were to describe your comics to someone who hadn't read them, like, there's a lot of intellect in there. Like, you have a lot of diverse <laughs> views. Yeah. You know, there's tons of wit. There's tons of like depth in your, you know, your 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 thoughts. And so, I guess like it kind of is a uh, a testament to the fact that like knowledge comes from it doesn't have to come from pure academia. You know what I mean? Because like no one would guess from your work that you're, you know, that that you're not quote unquote formally educated. So, I have very educated parents though, so I'm not completely getting off the hook. Both, mm-hmm. both of my parents are, um, you know, graduated from college and kind of came from money and then. Uh, Distanced themselves from their parents and grew up, basically raised me in poverty. <laughs> like, uh, I'm well What's that? Yeah, I mean, my, my dad's a weird hippie who lives in a geodesic dome in the central Oregon that he's been building for like 30 something years. <laughs> and my mom's a nurse who writes science fiction in Seattle. Okay. That's why I think the, uh, the, the moniker outsider artist is, is a bunch of crap. Uh, it really is why, why these people who are obviously uber talented, like Art Adams is self-taught, um, you get these truly visionary artists and just because they haven't progressed through the normal channels of art school and, you know, get your degree and prove yourself in, in uh, academia, they're, they're labeled outsider artists. But I, I, I think it's a bunch of, bunch of hoo-ha because, I mean, they, as you and others have proven it, they're, you're just as capable of producing valuable as you know essential work without going through the yeah. motions and even the guys that go through art school and everything it's it's what they do with it you right know, you'll find right. people right. That, you know talent or no talent that have gone through that and so it's kind of it's all self-taught even if someone else is teaching you yeah i think that's i mean not to divert from the direct conversation but i think that's just true of, of life in general right the older you get you kind of realize that like i'm formally educated but like i always say that 98 percent of what i learned at where i went to school was like meaningless in my life. You know what I mean? Like other than that, I guess theoretically it was like I had to go through that process to do what I do for a living, but but like I didn't I don't use ninety eight percent of it. You know, like sure. everything I use now I learned in in you know in my job. You know yeah. what I mean? So like it's about life experience more than anything. Now you paid yeah, I- paid more than ninety eight percent of the bill though, right? For that uh, tuition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. I uh, think that school is probably good for the social aspect and past yeah. that. And right, was, and a lot of that's kind of what you can learn from the people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the networking is great. I'll, I'll, I'll give school that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, one of the things, man, I got to say that that I've always dug about you. And again, even though this is the first time we're we're talking one on one, is that uh, like you're an open book. I mean, you you keep it real. I mean, without being cliche, like you you definitely you know own up to the fact that you you know had like kind of a you know you were kind of a a tough kid and you, you got in fights and stuff and had like some, you know, so socializing issues because you weren't in school, but like, you know, it, I, but it's interesting because like we're hearing all that from someone who's, you know, a grown ass man now, like you're, you're an adult, 
you're yeah, I would imagine pretty comfortable in your life now. So like <laughs> spoiled. Yeah, but I mean, like, but it's interesting that you have that perspective now, right? Like, I mean, you, you know, because I think that's one of the things that, I mean, not to, you know, we we do come across lots of other creators and and uh, both as fans as just as knowing them personally, and you know, people can sort of kind of kind of get it twisted in terms of like what their own their, what they think of themselves and like the craft, and you just seem very grounded in that regard. So, you know, I don't know. That's uh, I think that definitely speaks to your work and why I guess we're all fans of it. I was very lucky in that I got into comics very early, but got attention very late. You know, so like I was I was publishing books since I was nineteen, but but didn't really get you know lines of convincence or anything until I was in my thirties. Right. I'm really glad for that because I don't know what the hell I would have been a monster if I was. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I had that with folks recently, and I was really so I was thinking the whole time like this is a guy who's been like a comic book rock star for twenty years. Yeah. And I, I like him a lot, but it's just, it was very, like, I don't know what I, what would happen to me under that situation, you know, under the circumstances of, of being treated the way he's treated every time he goes to a convention or into a comic store or anything. Right. Yeah. And I think it's that open book, um, unvarnished aspect to the way you conduct yourself th- that it's transferred to your work. I mean, it's on every page. Um, not the least of which is when you insert yourself into the comics uh, that the little caricature you do i mean it's you know it's not very flattering right if that's the way you see yourself that's awesome and uh just you can almost well detect your 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 mental activity as you're working on that page because you'll have a drawing and those awesome little puns that you like to stick in with little objects or you know it could be text you'll just think something's funny and and write it in there that in addition to the the narrative that speaks volumes it makes it makes the world so much richer the the fictional world but it also makes you as an artist more endearing because you're laying it all out there i mean if you're thinking of a joke it makes it to the page if if you're thinking of a breast it probably would make it to the page you know <laughs> and and that's that's one of the things i find so fascinating about your work is you could just splay yourself all out there and just say you know take it or leave it this is brandon graham with with um as as much as I love the artwork in King City as I'm, as I'm making my way through it, it's getting to the point now where I look for at least one pun on each page. And, and right. I just, I, I, I'm up to the part now where he's in, he's, he's, he's at the, uh, he's at the, the hotel and he finds his way to the cervix entrance. And I just, <laughs> I, I practically just laughed out loud. I was in the car and I almost just, lost it but i i absolutely love whether it's whether it's in the background or or whether someone's just saying something and they may be saying it under their breath they may be saying it out loud but the fact that someone is actually just putting a pun in the middle of a story no matter how heightened the 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 action may be it it's i i it's one of my favorite parts of king city or just the puns oh thanks i i think i might have gotten a little I was a little too aware of the puns later on that, and especially in Multiple Warheads. I had kind of a breaking point where I was like, okay, time to ease it back. <laughs> and the funny thing is, as soon as I gave my permission, myself permission to not go crazy with puns on every page, I started, I still did them. It just was like the pressure wasn't there. Right. Yeah. It's the truth. that That's now, the, the true artist right there. Right, though. I mean, I know you've, I think, again, in that, in that you, you said it, and I forget the artist, but you said one of your friends at the time sort of critiqued your work and said 
he thought like you were trying too hard at times with the puns on King City, and you oh, appreciate yeah. that he was like you know kind of you know honest enough with you to, to say that. But you know, I read King City. I mean, admittedly, I didn't uh, read King City until the uh, you know the collected edition came out, so I read it in like one fell swoop. And uh, and the puns were. I mean, that was a huge part of the book, man. I mean, like that's like trying hard or not like that's it was it was great i mean that's that's i think part of the charm of the book and uh you know the sight gags and the puns and the play on words i mean that's just that's that's it like that's that's to me that's like one of the you know sort of uh defining points of your work versus like so many others you know well, so, even uh, even the sound effects too. i mean i i love the 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 onomatopoeia of things like that it, it's just and i had my avatar on the form and and i even i, I sent Brandon the image and on through Twitter and when when he's in the bar and they do the dap dude and I just I mean I, I love that little image I still have that on my phone somewhere it's mm-hmm. I, the sound effects are awesome yeah and, but I mean it, it would it's I think profit was really good for me because it helped me make comics while raining that stuff in like I can't really put I, I have dap in profit still, but I can't put dude in profit. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, yeah so um let me just, I mean, again, it's like Vince said, it's hard, kind of hard to sort of encapsulate everything. So much talk to about. talk about, yeah. But let me uh, just, I guess, again, trying to go chronologically, like, um, so uh, a couple months back, I was uh, at Isotope. Um, just by the way, Brandy, you, you, don't, you wouldn't know this, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a New Jersey guy, working in Manhattan, so I'm, a, I'm an East Coast guy. But, but I was out in uh, Isotope hanging out with, uh, with James and, uh, and Ron Richards, who actually was kind enough to introduce us. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Ron for making this happen tonight. Um, oh, yeah. And I was hanging out at Isotope, and and I think you've been there, right? You've been to Isotope. Yeah, I drew on one of the toilets. Yeah, I thought so. So, so you know, it's a great store, right? So, like, I'm looking through and you know, kind of like perusing the the inventory or whatever, and uh, and I come across uh, Pillow Fight and Perverts of the Unknown. So I had seen a few of the pages from it, like online, but I had never read the whole thing. So I bought them and read them, and um, I was like really surprised in um like after the fact to see that um like i guess you you don't you don't consider that like it seems like you aren't like you know you own that you did it but it wasn't like you don't consider it like great stuff like you it was sort of like you did it and it's fine but like it wasn't am i right in that like it's like i i enjoy the hell out of it like in fact i've probably read each a dozen times i think they're funny and 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 you know they're sexy but also hilarious and it just speaks to like i guess again if i if i was a if I was a 15-year-old reading it, like, it'd probably be titillating, but, like, as a 38-year-old reading it, you know, who's had right. lots of kinds of sex, like, it just, it, it, it celebrates the, the hilarity of sex, like, I think, which... What, which, what, uh, which, what are you talking about? As a 48, it's still titillating. <laughs> well, you're, I mean, I'm not 48, I'm 38. So, <laughs> um, Give him some but, time. Yeah, but, but so, like, I mean, I, I know that, that, that it was, you know, kind of, like, for hire and, and, like, they were kind of, like, cracking the whip and stuff, but, but... I mean, I hope you're you're at least proud of the stuff for what it is, because I I really do find it to be really entertaining, even even like today. I mean, I, like I said, I I really read it in its entirety about six months ago for the first time, and I, I just think the stuff's great. So, well, I had fun doing it, and it was I, I'm I'm glad it's out there, and I like you know I, I I like it, but I I think I regard about half of the stuff I do as failures, and I don't even mean that in a bad way, I just mean it like typical artist I talk. had higher expectations than what came out, and those ones were really weird because I I was doing it totally for, I was doing it for my paycheck and for doing it for myself, and didn't expect to ever have to have a conversation with someone about the work because, oh, okay. but I mean I'm, I'm fine talking about it, it's just interesting because 
I mean, I did think specifically in there, in Pillow Fight, there's a character who I not only based the likeness of, but used the real name of a girl who would give me coffee at, <laughs> uh, at a part-time job I had. Like, I was a security guard at a, at a gallery, and uh, and she was just like a woman who worked on the coffee shop on the roof there. And, and I was like, ah, she's a pretty lady. I'll put her in the porn comic. She'll never see it. And now it's like, you know, fourth printing. And I'm like, shit, I should change the name on that. <laughs> see, so it's, it's fine. Brandon, and, here, here's where you get the, the real uh, judge of who the hardcore Brandon Graham fans are. Jason has the collected editions. I have the Sizzle magazines. My oh, bad. Steve. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> Barry Blair comics and everything. Oh, I love Barry Blair. He's yeah. yeah, he's a freak, man. Those little, uh, too many Barry. little boys. You know? Christian Xanter. Do you know that guy? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that guy did Buffy comics. Oh, yeah. Brandon, just so you know, there's nothing puerile or 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 offensive in the comic book realm that Vince hasn't. Read <laughs> it's true. On it's yeah, true. Well, so. But this is a good segue uh, into the the Marion Church Churchland uh, oh, aspect. Wow. No, it, it is. It's a, and and here's why. Uh, so we know uh, that Brandon has done some pretty hardcore. Porn books, right? Yeah. So that, in my estimation, kind of tilts the scale in 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 one direction. But then, yeah, Bill Willingham has too to throw him under the same bus. No, it's true, it's true. But see, he, here's here's the counterweight. Sure, um, comics, buddy. No, <laughs> this is the counterweight. I am an obsessive lurker, uh, not only on your 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 blog, but I, I mean, I even reread the stuff when it comes in through the email. I follow you on the Twitter. You have. An amazingly deep capacity of love for Marion. I yeah, mean, you sure. just can't say, you know, my wife Marion. You have to say, my sweet, sweet Marion. And you know that to me. I mean, there's that heart. So, so you've got the the you know the porn on the one side, and you got this guy with it's just so loving of this woman. I mean, she's everything from what I can perceive. You yeah, know, I she, married her. I like her. Yeah, and yeah, that's what I mean. No, I mean, but she's. I'm not saying that she consumes you, but I th- and Jason too. I mean, that's your muse. She just yeah. seems to to flip that switch, and you just it just gushes. You know, not that that's not a metaphor. But well, I'm very impressed by Marion on on many many levels. She's a really she's a really good artist who's thought about art in very interesting new ways to me, and kind of changed my perception of art. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were friends for a really long time before. I, I kind of avoided dating her for a long time because I, I liked her so much, if that right. makes any sense. No, it does. Yeah, I it had does. a lot of respect for her and didn't want to uh, didn't want to lose that. Mm-hmm. And she's a, an amazing artist in her own right. I mean... Uh, the, I, knew, I knew of her work before I knew of your work, to be honest. Yeah, her Actually, elephant that, at that same, uh, at that aforementioned vegan restaurant from hell... I was uh, in between arguing with with Richard Starkings about Jack Kirby and his estate. Um, he was he he told me about Marion because I think she had just done her first issue of Elephant Men. Yeah, and, and our, our secret waiting we had it was just Starkings and Moritat there. What's so, that? Uh, when me and Marion we just went to a, uh, a courthouse and got married, and it was just uh, Justin and Starkings were the people that were the witnesses. There That's you awesome. go. Yeah, that is so cool. I mean, Vince, I don't know about you. I mean, we haven't talked, but I mean, so Walrus we've referred to a few times for, again, for our listeners who don't know, it's um, it's, it's effectively, a, a, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, it's a sketchbook that Brandon published through Picturebox, which uh, I guess came out, what, a, about a month ago now? Um, yeah. 
but it's it's you know you say right in the front of it, which is awesome that it's it's uh, like sort of a chance for people to see like the personal side of you, like your process. Um, which is funny that you say that only because again, I think like your work is very personal in general, even though like maybe the subject matter is often out there. Um, but to me, like the most powerful parts of, of Walrus are like the moments where it's either you like reflecting on Marion or like in particular, the part where you each drew each other's things, you know, like you each. That was fun. Yeah. That was some internet meme thing that we, that we took from like teenagers were doing. Oh, is that right? And did it ourselves. See, I'm not touched. I'm not in touch with the teenagers anymore. So I think it was one teenager or two teenagers were doing it, and we saw it and decided it was fun to do. But um, yeah, it's weird. I, I got a lot of I got a lot of response to how much I put Marion in there and, and talked about her, which is strange to me because I I don't know what else to write about but my life, you know. Yeah, but nevertheless, though, I mean, again, I think like it's. Um you, I mean, you've been. I mean, you, you guys have been married for a few years now, right? Yeah, five. Yeah, so I mean, but but again, like, so you're, to your point, your work has always been about like your experiences, whether it be when you're young and you're rebellious, or you're in New York tagging, or you know you're you're having to draw porn for a paycheck. Like, so to your point, I mean, you're you're now living in Vancouver with your creator wife, and you're very happy and content. So like, that's going to be reflected in your work, right? I mean, that's just the natural part of the process. Yeah, I should point out that we don't actually live together, which is always a wait. What? Conversation. <laughs> we both we own parted? apartments a block away from each other. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wait, what? <laughs> because, because we both draw for a living, and um, we're just spend all day in our apartment, and and uh, that way we, when we hang out, it's actually exciting, and not just you know, oh, you again, you know. Wow, I gotta that sell is... that to my wife. That would be really good. It's an amazing scam. I'm I'm kind of amazed. It was Marion's idea, but it's it's fantastic. Dude, you are king of the world. <laughs> Wait, before we go on, um I I can't figure out why Royal Boiler. Uh it's a it's it's a reference to this earlier series I did called Universe So Big. It's um they're these characters whose last name was Royal. Okay. Um, Marion Jackson Royal and they uh created a new type of, of robot brain that was called the Royal Boiler. Mm. Nice. Back to the walrus. Um, I just I have to give props to the picture box crew because yeah. uh, they production-wise, they did a really good job on this. I mean, French... Oh, yeah, and Adele was amazing on it. Yeah, French flaps. Uh, the paper is uh, very tactile. I mean, you have a very tactile package, Mr. Graham. And um, the, the color is beautiful. I mean, they, they did a fantastic job on it. I was really worried about being it being a twenty dollar book because I was thinking like King City's a twenty dollar book and it's yeah. four hundred pages, and you know the first profit volume had come out and it was like ten bucks for yep. six issues, and so I was really relieved when that thing came out and it, was, it printed so nicely. Yeah, you know what? I mean, it's funny you say that because I think Vince and I actually had a conversation when uh, it was solicited, and I think we talked about that. I was like, "Damn!" I'm like, "It's a little bit pricey for the page count," but then you know I'm a fan of your work, so. But I would say that like I think with um. You know, with like a sketchbook or an art book, there's a little more leeway on the page count front, you know, because like with the idea that as long as it delivers. And again, I think that you're like Walrus is is a reflection of like the inner you. And so I think, yeah, I just whereas when you're buying a sketchbook, you're getting a a look at the creator, how, how their mind works, what just basically what they do before they actually do the finished product that you're always there to read it and yeah yeah I, I think calling this a sketchbook kind of undersells it 
because it's way but more way more than a sketchbook. Yeah. yeah. Um it in in terms of um amount of information, it's just as dense as as King City. Um I mean the it may not have the same page count, so what? But uh but you're not you're not buying that for sequential stories. You're not But there's that too. Not. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that too in here. So that's that's what I'm saying. I mean it's it's a complete package. And and you got to take into consideration the origin. I mean, it's coming from Picture Box. The Dan Nadell's not dripping with money, you know. So uh, you 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 get what you pay for. And in this case, I think it, the twenty dollar price tag is very warranted. I I think. Yeah, I mean, it could have done through Image, but it would have been a very different book, you know. Yes. And and I was kind of interested in what in what kind of. You know, it ain't even hitting different people with picture box. Like originally, Dan was talking to me about me doing a comic book through them, and it didn't quite make any sense to me because I'm very happy with Image, and I feel like right now, especially Image is in this uh, amazing position where they're getting the most attention of, of pretty much any publisher out there in comic stores. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and so um, I was just hoping like that thing would would hit. A totally different audience, and I'm always trying to keep a foot in indie comics on some level. Like, I did something for this thickness anthology that was me both doing porn and indie comics uh, last year. This is a just a risograph printed thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm always trying to, uh, and I've got uh, one of my good friends. This guy, Robin McConnell, does the Ink Studs radio show. Yep, he's very, he's very. Uh, you know, small press comics and kind of always is there to, to tap me on the shoulder and remind me to, <laughs> to always keep that stuff in mind. Yeah. Rizograph's pretty popular these days. Yeah. I mean, uh, Mickey's Achille, who I love. I mean, she kicks Rizograph books out all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually, uh, Brandon, I, I, um, I actually bought uh, a piece of, um, of, uh, Stoko's art from, uh, from Robin. Oh, cool. he, he, he handles like some of the art sales. Does he, does he sell, he sells some of your stuff too, right? Yeah, it's a it's a huge favor that he does for me and and yeah. James and Marion and all of us because we're kind of scatterbrained and busy and he's much more uh, he's much more kind of reasonable and <laughs> yeah and you know the um I mean I know you're good friends with Stoko as well the, you know the uh, the page from Orkstein where the giant like skull tank is the giant splash where the skull tank is, is oh, like, yeah. sort of that's, I, that's the page I bought from him fantastic I love that yeah. Page. I even I'm really impressed with the conceptual hook with Walrus too. I mean the title of the book, where um, well, the title of the book was me making fun of Stoko, by the way. Oh, was it really? Oh, is that right? It's, he was like, we'd gone over there and and uh, me and Robin were at his place and I was talking about how I was going to do a sketchbook and he was like, he's like, don't publish your asses and puns sketchbook. The subtitle is the album album, and so it's that pun. Oh, nice! No, but now I just saw that as a as a pun because it's all bum and as a play on word to album. But I, I love that the hidden meaning behind it. Well, I mean, yeah. even the walrus thing works too because but it's got tusk right in the uh, subtitle there. Well, that I mean, that's the thing. The 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 thing you identify the most with the walrus is the tusks and the whiskers, right? Whereas the body of work would be the body of the walrus. But Brandon, didn't you have a show recently called Tusk? In um, yeah. where was it, Amsterdam? Yeah. There's also the other thing with Walrus where um, uh, Katsuro Otomo put out this great art book that kind of lives on my desk called Kaba, which is the Japanese word for hippo. And so Walrus being kind of a lot of fan art and me riffing off of work that I like, it kind of made sense to me that the title would be riffing off of the title of something I like as well. Oh. 
I'm learning so much here. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, b- back to the, the Amsterdam show, um, those pictures of the, the, the murals you and Marion did with the, the gigantic bear in the clouds, uh, they're amazing. Thanks. Yeah, and, they, uh, they flew. It was, it was the first time I've ever been to Europe. And first we, we went to um, Oslo, Norway for a comic book convention for a couple days. And then uh, and it was so surreal. The sun didn't go down while we were there. It went down like two hours a night. Um, and then, yeah, we went to Amsterdam and basically had uh, a week to put up this whole art show. And uh, So you did all those? You did the entire um, environment in a week? I think it was three days or something. It was, you know, me and Marion did everything. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of great. Because, like, that, that bear that you mentioned, was it's two stories tall. And we had to, there's this big, uh, cherry picker machine that we, that we had to use. And that, uh, I'm not afraid of heights, but it was really weird to be drawing on a ceiling and you'd look down <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, there's my death below me. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. It's like and, Sistine Chapel. Yeah, it was really fun. Well, on the blog, you mentioned the gallery, or uh, the Oslo Comics Expo, and then you were hanging around with Michael DeForge and, and Paul Pope. And I, I kind of, group you into um that world builder category of right. which i believe pope was i don't want to say the progenitor but of, of like the new breed of of comics artists who you know lavish their work with excessive detail uh ex- excessive thinking well i mean the young guns i like to think like pope yeah, no, I think pope is a huge he's certainly a huge influence on me and he was the first kind of modern american uh, you know, mix of the European and Japanese stuff. Right, made right. it, and and yeah, in a lot of ways, he was kind of the I don't know, progenitor of a lot of types of things that I'm that I'm playing with now. I've actually I've been uh, uh, I've been talking to him about about doing some collaborative projects soon, and so many of them for me are are based off of um, what his work meant to me when I was in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Like THB, that that to me is in the same vein as King City, which is in the same vein conceptually as Orkstein. I mean, I, I lump uh, Stoko in there too. The, um, I like to call, I mean, in my head, you guys are like the the new flesh. You're the the new uh, evolution of the con- contemporary comic book artists, in which you devote an enormous amount of mental energy into thinking this stuff and then you get it on the page and you flesh out these worlds that are that are so amazingly well realized that it just i mean you just have to notice this you know this is not somebody um and i'm not saying it's a bad thing but this your stuff is not mainstream um a universe where you know you have to get the story out and get it out on a certain time where you don't have time to design a toaster you know, and and that's why I think part of the joy of of the your work is is in that that amazing detail, yeah, and and you can draw really well. But you know, both you know me and me and Pope and Stoko in the sense of because a lot I feel like a lot of people do that stuff, but we've decided for some reason to to kind of play in the same place as as comic books that you know like you know Walking Dead or or. Um, Fantastic Four, whatever that mm. that are coming from much more guys that have to that have deadlines and have to get it out every month. Right. 
Whereas, like, you know, the DeForge isn't, you know, he's, he's kind of avoided there. He hasn't had much interest in that scene. Although I've been trying to get him over to Image. I think that would be amazing. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's hardcore indie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Lo- I love well, DeForge's stuff, too. But, um, damn it. What was I going to say? Go ahead, Jason. You, yeah, I'm going to yeah. jump in. I mean, so, um, I mean, I definitely want to talk about Profit and, uh, and Multiple Warheads because they're, they're going on now. But, I mean, I, I can't. It would be our, our listeners are dying for us to talk about King City, I'm sure, because that's like – I don't want to say – I don't want to put words in your mouth and say it's like your seminal work, but it's definitely like I think you know to date like your most you know fully realized work just given the, you know, the sheer size of it. Yeah, it's um, the only thing I've finished recently that has yeah, me. Yeah. This Prophet and Warheads I feel like are in this really weird place now where how they end will really affect their quality for me. Sure, sure. Um. So, I mean, like, so in terms of, of, of King City, I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's a profound work. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, again, if, if you threw down the mic and walked away from comics and just started doing, you know, whatever storyboards, uh, ads, movies, whatever, you know, King City would stand the test of time. Like, that'd be like, oh, damn, that's a dude that King, did King City. So, um, I mean, two questions. One, like, you know, take us through the journey there, because I know you've said that it's it sort of was reflective of different points in your life as you were drawing it and writing it. And then two, will we ever see more of it? Oh, King City is a long story, but I'll try to do a I'll try to, to to make it make sense. Sure. So when I started, it, I was at this I was at this weird point where I was completely I kind of hit a wall, and I was just really fed up with trying to break into comics because I was in my mid twenties and, you know, had been published for, for a while. And, and was, I was going up to vertigo every week at that point and, and doing porn comics. And, uh, I just hit a point where they were all the publishers I was talking to kind of stopped talking to me. They're like, okay, we're done with your work now. And I was just really frustrated and I didn't, I felt like I didn't have anywhere to go with my work. I couldn't even like the porn publisher wasn't, it was no longer accepting porn for me. I mean, I'm used to, I'm used to getting rejections, but I always had like a next plan. I was like, I'll, I'll contact this publisher, and at that point, I felt like I'd contacted everyone, and so I started King City very much just for myself. Like it was called Catmaster then. I was just working at a bookstore, and I was like, this is my comic. I'm gonna do it for myself and not try to worry about it. So I did the first forty pages of it without the expectation that anyone would ever see it, which was really freeing and nice, and kind of got to got to play around with it. And then my friend Becky Clunan, who does some amazing comics, uh, she was talking to Tokyo Pop and, and kind of uh, pushed me into into showing it to them. And uh, and they accepted it. And then, uh, you know, the story goes that I, I had money all of a sudden from, or, you know, enough money to kind of move away from New York and back to Seattle. And I got the first book out in the middle of the second one and then uh, Tokyo Pop stopped publishing all of their, right, all their American books, and oh, that uh, sucks. Yeah, and and they were going to do it online, and and uh, luckily I just met Joe Keating, who mm-hmm. was working marketing at Image at the time, and yeah. he, he managed to um, uh, hook me up with Eric Stevenson, who really I'm still kind of surprised about how much Eric backs me, but he just was like, all right. I like the look of this book. Let's let's talk to these people and we negotiate for essentially a year to get King City like the rights to just kind of publish it at image. And uh, so the rights are kind of a mess still because they're so tied up between 
but I think I could do more with the characters and just call it something else. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, could you fathom going back to that little universe, like say maybe for a, you know, a, a, a Lukashev two issues or three issues, just maybe like what he was like before King City, the events of yeah, that. That'd be, that'd be fun to do. But in a lot of ways, it's weird because I, I feel like I'd have to show the characters a lot older because because even when I was doing it, I was kind of looking back at my life a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's really like, it, it sounds like I'm a crazy person, but it feels really autobiographical about where I was at when I was in my mid-20s. You right. know, I was drawing it at like 30 or whatever. Right. And you just had the unfortunate luck to get into Tokyo Pop as, you know, um, the manga explosion was starting to contract. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it worked out better for me than anyone else I can think of. Uh, maybe maybe Felipe Smith got got a good deal by sneaking off to Japan and getting published there, but but um, I mean it got me into Image, which I certainly can't complain about. Right. Sure. And I remember what I was going to say before when you were talking um, about uh, we were talking about Paul Pope and that you said um, uh, about that kind of uh, world building where it's it's na natural in. Uh, European and, and uh, Japanese uh, manga, and that's that's so true. I completely agree with that. Uh, it, I mean, you look at Nausicaa, that predates all of uh, the American kind of world building, and, yeah. and that's just a tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's work in Japan that even you know comes decades before that that has that massive attention to uh, the environment and the detail in, in the surroundings of the story. But yeah, so that's what I was thinking before. Yeah, and Nausicaa is a good example too of of a kind of mix of Western and Eastern. Oh, doubt, no doubt. Right, right. And on your on your blog, you say um, uh, when you were reading Nausicaa for the the first time, and you said uh, it's you know it's not storyboards, it's not you know traditional comics, it's it's its own thing, and and that's exactly how I see your work. I mean, you can't really like like profit. Uh, in terms of of the story, you can't really compare profit to to anything, especially no. contemporary stuff, because it's it's its own thing. It's it's such a singular statement. Where if you try and find something that can kind of approximate um, what you're trying to do with profit, it just I can't I can't find anything. Well, I guess it's probably I feel like profit's a vague attempt of somebody who's living, you know, a group of, of people with the, all the collaborators I have on it, kind of living in 2013 and. <laughs> basically attempting to try to recreate the fun stuff they found in the 80s. Right. And, and so it's it's almost an attempt to go backwards, which sometimes <laughs> hopefully can create something new. And uh, well, one of the things, uh, Jason, I'm doing it again. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, while we're on the subject of profit, one of the things I found uh, really endearing was the fact that, and I'm reading it in trade, sorry, uh, you... Um, are listed, of course, as you know the the writer, the, the, the responsible for the story. But the artists are also uh, listed under story. How much of uh, the uh, creation responsibilities in terms of the narrative are you um, giving to the artists? There's there's some back and forth. It, it really depends on the on the person I, where I work with on the book. But um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations kind of at, at, about the kind of separation between artist and writer. And it, it is weird because so many books, like a big chunk of the storytelling is, is the, you know, the visual side of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, with profit, I don't do scripts. I do, uh, thumbnails basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but those thumbnails are based off of what, uh, the conversations I've had with the artists I'm working with. 
and uh, and with something like like Farrell's issues, Farrell Dyrenpol did some, and with those, it's really just me and him have a conversation. He draws the book. We have a conversation. I send him a list of pages that he should draw, super vague, like you know, on a napkin or whatever. And he draws the entire book, and then we go back through and talk over what what he was thinking of on each page when he drew it, and I do the text with it. So it's this kind of Marvel method. I was going to say it's almost like the Marvel method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really just him. Uh, it's like me telling a story and him adapting it, and then me doing the words after it. So it's him doing the huge brunt, if not the majority of the of the storytelling. Where someone like uh, like Yanni Milo Giannis or whatever his last name is pronounced difficult is uh, like he really sticks close to the storyboards I send him and doesn't like he'll change things to make it work more but but he's a lot of it is him just uh, kind of banging out what I what I plan mm-hmm. and and he seems to focus focus more on the designs of the characters like he's if I, I was like draw a robot and he'll make it look really cool. I mean, so by way of reference, again, for people that maybe haven't been caught up on profit and shame on them, like, so, I mean, Farrell's your, your good friend, right? I mean, you've been friends with him for a long time. So there's like, it's sort yeah. of an entrenched DNA in terms of how you communicate and create. Yeah. Um, no, like 99. Yeah. And, and, and then like Yanni, I think is, is not someone that you've known for a long time, but like stylistically, what's interesting to me is, you know, I, um, when it was announced that you were going to be doing profit, like, um, you've got Simon and, and, and yourself and, and Farrell. And, and while I don't, I, I certainly don't want to suggest that each of you have, you know, that your art styles are, 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 are that alike. I, I do think there's like a, a little bit of a, of a sort of an underlying aesthetic that's the same, but yeah, then like, like to me, like Yanni is very different. Like Yanni, Yanni's almost like very much more like a, like a, an Eastern style to me. Like, yeah, is, that, almost, is that by design for you? Um, I mean, it's uh, originally I, so originally Prophet was really an attempt to me to try to capture kind of the feel of like John Buscema Conan. Um, and so that's nice. where Simon and Farrell came in because I feel like they have this, these types of art styles that if you dropped them any time throughout comics history, they could get work. You know, they're very, it's very universal and very based off of them drawing reality and, and drawing, um, you know, like going outside, like drawing from National Geographic or whatever, where I feel like me and Yanni are much more similar types of artists where we're really entrenched in our influences. Like you can kind of see, see the manga and see the, the Mobius or whatever in our stuff. And you can see some of that in Farrell and, and Simon's, but it's, I feel like it's more subtle. So I, I originally I, I planned on not drawing any profit myself and, um, and Yanni kind of showed up later too. And it was just, just the idea that we had to do the book monthly that I was and I'm really glad it did work out that way. Has that been really hard for you? And, and, and I asked because, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're pretty good friends with, with Jeff Lemire mm-hmm. and, you know, knew Jeff for a long time, just, you know, doing his own stuff. And then, um, you know, he's really flourished, you know, certainly professionally, you know, just, you know, as a writer, you know, writing, writing stuff for other people to draw, even though he's, he's still maintained at least, you know, between sweet tooth and then trillium and whatever, uh, you know, he, he's still, keeps his feet in the water of drawing and writing something at the same time. But he said that was a big adjustment, you know, to sort of hand over the reins artistically, as you point out that, that, you know, the art is, is more than 50% of a comic, right? That's what makes a comic different than a book. So has it been, you know, difficult for you? Cause I mean, you can't tell from the book. I mean, I think profit's a fantastic work, so it seems like you're flourishing in that collaborative environment, but has it, has it been tough to not, have you ever had an issue where you've gotten stuff back and been like, that's not what I really was envisioning, but it, it's okay though. 
I think me and Jeff have really different uh, situations. Um, I don't, I don't envy him, but he, he does, he manages to make impressive. <laughs> and I, and I talked, he was out in, in Europe at Oslo too. And I was talking to him about the idea that he doesn't let a day go by where he doesn't draw a page. Yeah. Which I was amazed by because I do about three pages a week. Okay. And that's my, that's my slow mistake. I always call it, you know, it's tortoise race. Um, but the nice thing with profit is that, you know, I'm, I'm friends and fans of everyone working on it. Like mm-hmm. I'm really, I've been really lucky and kind of strict about who I have draw a profit. And it, it's guys that I have so much faith in that every time I get work back from them, I'm, you know, I, I write it with the idea of, I don't know what this is going to look like. I hope it looks cool. And when I get it back, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's always a surprise. And I kind of have to work with that. Like, there's but like a good surprise, or, or has it has it gotten better with each issue? Was the first issue you were like, oh wow, and then like five issues, and you're like, okay, this is cool, or was it right, right from the jump you were like, okay, no, it's not what I, I would have done, but it's cool. There's been some back and forth where where I've had to change the script around because the art came in different, and there's things where there's only been there's been a couple times that I've had people redo panels just because there was things that, just storytelling things I had to convey that didn't come out very clear, but right. a lot of that is. I think my fault initially for not explaining it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I have a lot less ownership over the, over the work because I'm not drawing it. And, and it's, it's a totally different writing style. Like it's a yeah. much more attached writing style than when I draw my own stuff. Um, I, I think it's cool. Um, uh, the, le- the conceptual, um, uh, density of this thing, like each artist gets their own profit. Right. And, and that goes back to my initial reaction when, when I read that first issue. Um, I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of the original Prophet and Liefeld and, um, and Platt. And Platt. And did you know, uh, I just learned this recently from, uh, uh, Rob showed up on, um, Jim Rugg's show, the, uh, mm-hmm. Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Yeah. Prophet was originally slated for X Force. He, yeah. he was going to give Prophet to Marvel. Yeah, and like. yeah, and then right when uh, he made the break, he's like, "Damn, I'm not sticking yep. profit in there." But yep. anyway, to to take um, a relatively um, lowbrow character, I mean, we could say that a lot of Liefeld's characters, while super dynamic and very enjoyable, it's not exactly highbrow stuff. And, and to yeah, to trans because- transform those characters into a work that reads like it could have been written by, let's just say, you know, Philip K. Dick or William Burroughs. I mean, this book is dense. Um, I, I've gone through the, tr- the two trades multiple times, and there are still parts. I mean, you do not spoon-feed the reader. I, I tried at certain points, but it just, I had to give up. <laughs> and, and, I mean, but that just adds to my enjoyment because um, say, say you're, uh, to use the cliche, you're a stranger in a strange land. Uh, there are guideposts that will get you where you want to go, but ultimately you will fail unless you make some kind of initiative, unless you, you push yourself to, to gather the information or, or to, to just to learn, right? And I think that's what profit is. I mean, you, you, you throw us into this work and it's like sink or swim. You either make an effort to, um, glom onto this world or you back away. And I, and I think making the effort is amazingly rewarding because it is such a great book. Um, like I said, uh, shocked and uh, well, not shocked, uh, that you could write such a book, but shocked that it's profit 
that's the target, you know? That's, that's yeah. a little bit of the fun of it, too. Um, and I think a lot about how comics is a really, it's a, it's an active medium. Say, say movies or television are kind of passive. You can sit there and it's just stare at it and you get it all. But you just, the simple act of reading a comic book or a novel or whatever, you have to turn the pages yourself and right. and look over it. And so it requires, I like the idea of it requiring more than that and it requiring you to think about it. And a lot of my favorite comics especially are things that I confused me the first time I read them. Uh, things like uh, like Masamune Shiro's Appleseed. It's really dense and I've been reading it over and over since I was a teenager and still don't get parts of it. But I keep coming back to it. Right. Stuff like the Inkle, uh, Mobius, is, uh, and, and the Airtight Garage. I mean, they require yeah. a level of commitment from the reader um, that goes far beyond your average uh, sequential art, you know? Um, yeah. and, 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 uh, but then there's a payoff, too, because, as I said, profit requires that, but then you stick Die Hard in Volume 2. So it's like you're having your cake and you're getting to eat it too. You're taking another one of those characters that was basically, you know, a cast off back in the day and you're making him an essential part of this deep, yeah, exactly. deep, deep narrative. Yeah, that part's been really fun. I, I love the idea because, because people have brought up the idea to me that I could have just created my own, you know, we could have just done our own thing where me and Simon and Yanni and Farrell created a universe, but it wouldn't have had that dealing with the Liefeld work, which is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about the and, and recently um, the last issue we just put together number thirty nine uh, sh- shows the the length it shows all of Die Hard's life with um, nine different artists illustrating different chunks of it. Oh, nice goodness! Yeah, we finally got uh, Stoko to draw some. Nice, and and, um, and you actually make sense of the the crown. You give it a purpose. It's not just an ornament. Yep. Yeah, it's funny how many of the things that are essential in the story now were things that. I didn't originally plan that. I just got an email from Stevenson or Liefeld or someone that was like, "Hey, put the put the crown back on him." Because <laughs> originally he was going to have a tattoo of that on his. All the clones are going to have a tattoo of that shape on their face. Right. Yeah. So, so speaking of tattoos, because again, we're, we're trying to jam pack everything into a couple hours. Um, all of us on the on the all of us that you're talking to tonight have have ink. In fact, multiple pieces. Um, okay. But uh, I don't think any of us have something as uh, as visually arresting as what you have, which is a uh, uh, an elephant tattoo on your neck. Yeah. So, what's friends. the story with that? <laughs> um, I I grew up that what graffiti writers do when they grow up is uh, the the joke is always strippers become hairdressers, graffiti writers become tattoo artists, and then <laughs> um, so uh, this guy ego who is an old friend of mine, who's a graffiti writer. Um, he does he does tattoos that I like a lot. And I was basically just in Seattle, and I'd, I'd never planned on getting a tattoo, and I was drunk at a bus stop one day and just called him up and said, hey, I want to get an elephant on my neck. And I don't remember the impetus from it for it or anything. Oh, really? Okay. And, you know, the thing about tattoo artists is one of the things that people don't like to do is, you know, they don't like to um, do... You know, like your significant other's names on you because I'll wreck the relationship. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of tattoo artists won't do like gang tattoos on people yeah. that aren't actually in gangs, and and they won't do tattoos on hands or necks or anything if you don't have a lot of tattoos and kind of know what it's going to do because that makes you unemployable. You know, yeah. And that was my first tattoo is the thing on my neck, so it was kind of hilarious to me. But you don't remember why you wanted an elephant? Well, a lot of it too is just the idea of. 
you know, knowing these tattoo guys and how they'd make fun of the people that had all this uh, history behind all the tattoos they got. Like, people would come in and be like, I want a dog that means my soul and its house mm-hmm. is like this and this. And they'd just kind of exchange stories picking on it. So I wanted something that I thought would visually look cool. And I had two of my friends design it. Right. Um, uh, my friend Ledro, who just recently did a profit cover, and, and, and Ego kind of collaborated on it. And so I had this thing that would kind of represented my friend's artwork more than anything in my life. Um, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I have, to, I have to say your your significant other mention is funny because uh, so I think 100% of the tattoos that all three of us have are from the same artist. Yes. Um, we, we all we, – we, we got our first tattoo together at uh, C2E2, the uh, Chicago convention. Oh, cool. And uh, we were – they have a tattoo pavilion at the uh, – at, at C2E2 each year and – the first year that the uh, convention happened, like we were kind of the three of us were walking around just just taking in the sights, and uh, there were like eight or nine tattoo artists doing their thing, and we were like looking at different books and, and different stuff, and one of the tattoo artists recognized our voices because he listens to the show. Oh, nice. and he was like, "Hey, are you are you you know Vince and Wood and and, and David?" And we're like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Oh, I'm, you know, I listen to your show, blah blah blah." So he's like, "Are you guys looking to get tattoos?" And you know, we were kind of like curious, but you know, it, we we hadn't committed, but he talked us into it, and we we each got ink that 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 weekend and then subsequent to that we've each gotten a couple pieces by him and um and and my um the second piece i've gotten a couple since but the second piece i got from him was a a full on my full rib cage i got a uh like a a customized design and it's got uh inside of the design it's got uh, my three sons names and then my wife's name and to your point you know this is by the time he was doing this tattoo he had become my good buddy and you know i showed him the design he's like yeah, it looks great. Like I'm ready for it, but are you sure you want to have your lady's name on your body? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, I've you know I've been with her for more than a decade. Like I, I, you know, it's good. And he's like, yeah, you never know though. And you're like, and you're right. Like they, he was really reluctant to do it. Like he was like very much like you never know. And uh, I convinced him to do it, but but like it's just funny, right? These guys are very superstitious about having like significant others' names. Yeah, I guess it puts some weight on a relationship to, you know, every time somebody waves at you, it says Susan or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> did, you guys, so did you guys get tattoos at that first convention? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. Every, um, the, I'm the only one of the three of us who has been to every C2E2, but, and there was one year, one year Vince was there, I did not get a tattoo. Uh, so we all have three pieces over the four years that, that the convention's been going on. Yeah. Brandon, I, I have a name on my arm, but, uh, I think it's safe to say my love for this person will never die. Uh, I have Joe Kubert's, uh, he signed my arm actually three months before he died. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I got his name tattooed. And, and, and Joe did not want to sign No, he didn't, he didn't want to do it. No, I had to beg him. I'm glad really? I did. Glad I did. Glad I did. You're not worried that you guys are going to break up or anything? Nah, man. <laughs> I, I will love that man forever. That's okay. Uh, let, let's go back to profit for a little yeah. while. Um, peek behind the curtain. Is, is there a giant, oversized, uh, collected hardcover edition of profit on the horizon? Yeah, I think there is. There's been, there's been talk of it. Nice. Um, there's a French hardcover already, but yeah, the, um, it's really amazing how, much images back to it because you know profit doesn't sell like crazy i guess the trades do pretty well actually but the issues is of like it came out at six thousand and it sells six thousand now is that right yeah oh i would have figured it was much better than that 
Well, I guess a lot of people read it in trade, which yeah. might be a testament to it being confusing in issues. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm really proud of the backups in it. I've managed to get some some artists I, whose work I really like doing the little five page backups in every issue. It it's like I said. I I think part of it. The, the thing that makes it so unique is uh, one of those reasons why maybe it doesn't sell more because it, it requires effort. And yeah, it's definitely right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, I mean, uh, what are they going to, if w- a lot of people would rather read Green Lantern or, I mean, I'm not going to pick on a company or Amazing Spider-Man, right? Because it's instant gratification with, with profit. You got to work at it. It's, it's, uh, it, it's not, uh, uh, it's not a cruise. It's not a luxury cruise. You know, you gotta get dirty. And that's the, that's the main thing I love about, I mean, besides the art, the art's fantastic and the story's great. Uh, it's, I love the depth of the damn thing. Like, y- you go into great detail about the insects and the force fields and the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the defecation of these these transports and and what what that defecation is used for for building you know uh homes and stuff and it's just like that that's crazy deep and i i, I love that so i don't know what i'm always really fascinated when like lately there's a lot of there's a lot of people who do comics in my neighborhood now and i'm always meeting up with different image writers and trying to pick their brains because i don't know what like uh do you know ed brisson's work at all? yeah yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he letters profit, and he's and he's a fantastic writer in his own right. And Michael Walsh actually, uh, is, he's a he's a listener to the show. He he did an intro for our show a couple weeks ago. Who oh, was nice. his uh, artist on uh, on that uh, that true crime book they did last year? Right, the um, murder book. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Um, but it's, he always points out to me how light the profit scripts are when he gets them in. And uh, maybe it's just because it's not a dialogue-heavy book, but I don't really know how people. I, I mean, it's 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 very alien to me how other people writing comics. I never planned on writing comics. I should have talked to Lemire about this stuff, but it's it's very alien to me, kind of how people dense it up. And I don't really know how you dense it up other than, uh, uh, you know, adding backstory and adding history to something. Right. But it's uh, despite the the lack of of um actual dialogue and 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 uh narration it's not a quick read uh speaking you know only for myself i can spend 20 30 minutes on a double page spread just trying to make you know soak it all in and 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 take this this entire world uh for for what it is and yeah i i think it's a testament the book uh to um and it's it's kind of leached into my own thinking at least in terms of of uh graphically following an idea to its logical conclusion it's not enough to put um uh you know a sleeping king uh that that's a story mechanic you have the sleeping king but you you take it one step further two steps further to to its logical conclusion you make sense like there's a reason why this beat has been put into the story and this is why and these are the contingencies these these are the outcomes of this story mechanic and it's like you're going the entire distance from point a to the end and that it's 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 amazing to witness for some people it would be enough just to put the character in a panel but you tell us why that character is there and and what he what his reason for existing in this narrative you know it's great Cool. Um, yeah, hopefully it's worth the four dollars. <laughs> I think I think. Oh, it is. Right. Yeah, I'm gushing. I'm sorry, but I just I just think it's a, it's a really special special work. 
Brent, is there something to the? Um, I mean, I love it because I mean, you don't know this, but but one of the our listeners do. I, one of the things that got me into comics back in the day was just randomly stumbling upon a um, a hot new issue, like an official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when I was really young, and just being fascinated, like it being like an encyclopedia of superheroes. Oh yeah. And you 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 seem to have like this affinity for that in profit, where you you on occasion will have this page which is like deeply detailed like renderings of like whatever is in profit's bag, or like the materials he has, or the equipment. And I just love that to death. But like, is that just an homage to you know like the comics you read as a kid, or is that like for some other purpose? Yeah, I mean, I always think, actually, I always think about, this isn't a really good comparison, but I always think about it in relation to Mike Mignola comics. Because okay. Mignola has this um, this really stripped-down, simple style that I almost find frustrating because he's doing these stories about this, you know, these, these kind of, um, these characters that are delving into this kind of Cthulhu, Lovecraft, uh, ancient history, and they'll they'll, like, go into a library full of, like, you know, demons books on immortality and he'll draw just a bunch of spines on books and there'll be papers on desk and you can't read them. And I find that so frustrating because he's lured you in so well. And then he's just like, and you'll never know, you know, you'll never be able to pull off the, the books on the, on the shelf. Right. And as a, as a creator, I'm actually able to say like, what's on the shelf. Um, and, and it's, it's cool that you mentioned the, the who's who type stuff, because we're doing a profit issue that's all that. It's just who's No who's. freaking way, really. <laughs> I'm really excited about it, because there's so much stuff we never... Because a lot of concepts... I think about writing comics, it's like it's like a tree, where it, sometimes you, know, you look at a tree, and it's kind of amazing to think that the root system is as big yeah. as, the, as the branch system. And there's so much stuff that we have to figure out about how... Like we had to figure out about like how their clothes, like why they have clothes and who makes their weapons and all these things, and uh, and and so I, I want to be able to show that. Like there's these guys like Iron Johns that are like they're kind of like the Star Prophets, but they just live in orbit of planets and, and build everything for the prophets. And uh, and you know and and I want to talk about like what happened to all the other superheroes. Like Gloria was mentioned in the last issue, but we haven't shown her, and just. Um, like there's so much backstory that we can explore and so many things that we can kind of hint at that we never got to, which is right. Which is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, that's a cool, I mean, so, I mean, I know you, you've mentioned Keating a few times is helping you sort of get your entree into image. I mean, it's great to see that, you know, you, you, you get plucked to do the profit reboot and then, you know, Keating does glory and it's a shame it's, it's been canceled because uh, just a couple of weeks back we, uh, we raved about, about the, uh, the second glory trade. You know, I thought it was a great series. I think Joe yeah. did a great job with that as a Ross, but, um, but yeah, it's cool to think, right? I mean, like, like when you, even though you've you've taken the, the concept of uh, of of profit in a whole new direction, it's it's cool that you're still trying to like weave in little Easter eggs that suggest it's still the same stuff that we you know read in the '90s, you know, which is cool. Yeah, I did something in the flashback diehard issue that was um, really fun. So I showed how like most of the members of Young Blood die, which is right daunting to do, and then. Um, I have a future version of Young Blood, which is called Young Star, which is on the moon <laughs> in like fifty years in the future, and it's got um, like Doc Rocket that Alan Moore came up with, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chapel's daughter, and Old Man Shaft, and uh, and another version of Die Hard. <laughs> and I was thinking it'd be really fun to. I was I was talking to Image about this. It'd be really fun. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but just to do a Young Star series that was just set in the. Uh, 
you know, in the, you know, with, the, with Shaft in his 80s and with kind of a young, old diehard. Uh, that would old, be so Old man good. bad rock. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that, that's funny. Uh, Brandon, like, what, um, what, if anything, is Rob's role in, in Profit? Like, other than just giving, you know, I guess, positive vibes and support. He's he's very supportive. He's um he's really he's really mostly just hands off and really supportive and kind of uh he I, like I've I, I ask him questions a lot about about you know what what should I do with this or what, what who he thinks I should bring in and and he's so uh, open to anything. It's kind of ridiculous. Like I, I killed Supreme early on, and I I was expecting him to not let me do that. <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, do whatever." And at one point, I wrote him and was like, uh, well, "Can I get away with this with this character?" And he's just like, "Ah, you can make it work." So it's just it's been fantastic, and it's funny because I always talk about profit as it's kind of me dealing with my feelings about comics in the '90s because I didn't I grew up you know being into indie comics and European right. comics and everything. And in the 90s, you know, being an angry teenager, like, Image was the devil, you know. And so I'm, I'm kind of, it's weird to come to terms with that. Now it's like, I, I'm i fond of Liefeld, and I, I like him. Yeah. yeah. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more enthusiastic uh, creator uh, in, in, in comics. Um, he just has um, amazing yeah. love for the process, the characters, um, you know, regardless of company. He just seems to love comics, period. And, and it's infectious. Yeah, and I think a lot about how his his reputation in comics and his enthusiasm are, you know, it's like he's 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 unstoppable, and I, I give a lot of admiration for that. Yeah, for he's how, a force of nature. Yeah, he yeah. definitely is. I take a lot of flack. I, I equate Liefeld to the uh, Jack Kirby of the original Image Group, be, mm-hmm. because Rob for a lot of years was a creative dynamo. He was just yeah. kicking characters out like crazy. Uh, yeah, and McFarlane would be the Ditko, you know, but, um, Rob, he, he was white hot there for a lot of years. And, uh, like Jack, Jack would take liberties with anatomy when it, it suited him, and, and so did Rob, you know, where you could, you could argue that in Rob's case, maybe some of those liberties were taken because he just didn't know. Right. Uh, whereas Jack was a seasoned creator and just did it just to cut corners, but, uh, and get the, the pages out. But I mean, the, 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 the modus operandi, that, that enthusiasm and that, that dynamism that Kirby has, Rob has that in spades. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Well, you know, Vince, I mean, uh, and I think, uh, I, I think, you know, Brandon, cause I've, I've mentioned it to you recently, but like, you know, Rob and I are, are buddies. And, and I mm-hmm. think that, you know, it's hard for me to believe that I could say that I'm buddies with him now after, <laughs> you know, he was such an influential creator back when I was younger. But again, like the thing about him, and and really a lot of the early image guys for for a lot of us is that they like fostered a sense of excitement that sure. we, you know we didn't have for a long time. You know, having read sort of the tropes and uh, Marvel and, was tepid before those guys blew up. I mean, the day, yeah, you know, the, it was a sea change. You know. But what's interesting, and this is what I what kind of what I want to get at from from your perspective, Brandon, is that you know, like as much as you know, Rob and Todd and the image guys, and you know. Obviously, their their uh, their import on the industry's evolution speaks for itself. You know, you you've been pretty, I think, honest in the sense that it kind of frustrates you that, like, we've gone in this path where, like, the comic writer has become sort of front and center as like the creative force in comics. And even though you're writing profit and not drawing it for the most part, you know, you've made the point of saying like, 
that's crazy to you, and you know, in the sense that 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 like comics are a visual medium. So if if the cre- if the artist isn't credited or isn't involved, like that's that doesn't make much sense. So like, I mean, do you do you feel like we're getting to a point again where where the the writer slash artist or just the artist is getting is just due, or do you think we still have to kind of find that equilibrium again? It's it's a weird it's a weird conversation to have because. I feel like a lot of the main reasoning for it hasn't really been talked about very publicly about how, like, I feel like it has to be something to do with image and the kind of backlash against the nineties being so, uh, artist centric and kind of star artist centric that, mm-hmm. that the, the publishers kind of then went the other direction and focused so much on writers in the two thousands. And, uh, and it, it, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's none of it's good. You know, it's like, you want to have the combination of writer and artist and not put too much weight on. on and I, and there's lots of elements about, you know, a writer can put out, you know, you get a Warren Ellis, not that he's doing a ton of books right now, but say like War, a, a guy like Warren Ellis or, or, you know, Garth Ennis or Grant Morrison or whatever can crank out, you know, they can do five books a month and it won't kill them where an artist, you know, short of Jack Kirby can't do more than one if he's fast. Right, and so there, there's there's that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not. I don't. I don't like how it's it's. This, I, I think it's still very much that where writers are kind of seen as the the movie directors of comics right now, and artists are just kind of their cast that <laughs> that they can switch around. Although I almost even feel like a lot of actors would get more credit than a lot of artists get in comics still. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, like, I, I feel like Image is a lot of what Image does and has always done it is very much based off of what's happening at Marvel and DC. You know, it's like they're, they're created out of, out of guys that, that came out of Marvel and DC. So that makes sense. So those companies making decisions to push writers, and then those writers going over to image, it kind of affects the whole industry. Yeah. It's kind of funny only because like, and, and again, I mean, we, we, we're, we're doing this, this chat tonight because of Ron, you know, who's, who's mm-hmm. our good friend, my good buddy. And uh, introduced us, but but uh, you know, like if you think about where Image is right now, I mean, first of all, they, it's been a long time. I mean, from a I guess a relative strength standpoint, I mean, Image is as strong as they've ever been. I mean, they, you know, from like a market share and a mind share perspective, I think they're kicking ass. Right. But like to your point, I mean, like if I think about it, and 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 we're all huge Image fans, and I think they were at least for a few of us, like our publisher of the year of the last few years for our annual award shows, like. But but if you think about it, like to your point, they they are even even now like the resurgence of image commercially, you could say, is tied up to Kirkman, right? Which is that, you know, the the original image guys hung in there, and then Kirkman came along and they made him a partner, and he's a writer, right? And then you've got like you know, and then he had the, the Image Expo, and it was, you know, it was about it was about oh, Remender's doing image books, and 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 Brubaker's doing image books, and uh, you know, Fraction's coming back to image, and and so, like, I guess the question is. Do you, do you just view this as like cyclical? I mean, do you think it's gonna at some point, you know, five, ten years from now, whatever podcast is popular, then we'll be talking about, oh, it's a it's an artist driven world, or you just think that there's something like intrinsic about the industry now that the writers have the upper hand and it's gonna stay that way? Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly think that a lot of it is in the hands of the artists about what they because it's interesting. Like you think about like who's who's the star artist now. Like, is it, is Frank quietly one of those guys maybe? Yeah, sure. 
and you think like what's Frank Quietly's opinions on things? It's like I don't know what I don't know, right? He's just he's drawing Jupiter's legacy with Miller. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. He's not he's not a particularly vocal guy, and I think a lot of right. artists are, there's not a lot of loud artists. You know, it's like the the writers do a lot of talking in comics right now, and um, so I, I think that there needs to be like if if artists are unhappy with the situation, there has to be kind of more of a kind of conversation about more vocal. And I, and I don't want to ever, I think I get misquoted a lot by sounding like I don't like writers in comics or people that don't draw. It's more just that the balance isn't there right mm-hmm. now. And, um, and, and a lot of the comics I grew up on were by single creators and, and, sure. you know, and that's kind of always how I identify it. So, so I, I just like to see more of that. I think, yeah. that, um, I don't know. There's so many, I don't know. I like, like Paul Pope, I think that I was thinking it's it's really strange that there's you see a lot of Alan Moores. You see like like you know Grant Morrison's kind of an Alan Moore or Alice Cott of Red Image now. They're these guys that are kind of selling themselves off of these kind of uh, this persona. But Paul Pope, who did the same thing, the visual thing, kind of this rock star thing. There's I I can't name another Paul Pope past him. Uh, trying to think. I mean, it's, it's tough to name another Paul Pope because he's Paul Pope, but... I mean, I, That's I fascinating. I'm trying to think of one myself, and I... I... Yeah. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, good. Hmm. Now, uh, so to that point, do you think um, editorial involvement in this uh, creative process is, by and large, unnecessary? Because um, all of the great works... Uh, I'm not even going to get into the Japanese, but all, all of the the really stellar stuff have been produced without um, that many fingers in the pot. Like, let's just say Paul Pope, but he did THB on his own. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to discount editors because there are guys like Archie Goodwin who did so much. Okay, yeah, okay, the superstar. Props editor. to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I've never really worked with many editors, so I'm I'm probably a bad person to ask. But I I feel like good editors are really you know a rare and beautiful thing. And I it's it's weird. Image doesn't really have editors, right? Right. Like, They're pretty much hands off, right? Yeah, actually, um, David Brothers, uh, a friend of mine, is working there now. Is uh, who was kind of a comics journalist for a long time. Sure. I'm, I've got him. I'm going to start a bunch of projects with him editing now because I, I like the idea of kind of having more. Um, more back and forth with people. And like when I write profit scripts, a lot of times Simon Roy is kind of my editor on it where mm-hmm. I'll send him the stuff and he's very harsh. He'll send me back like, you know, what the hell is this unicorn name you gave the spaceship? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think, I think the way that Marvel and DC are like Marvel and DC essentially exist, uh, tied to all their products. And so, you know, they have the movies, they have action figures and cartoons and all that shit. And then you get Image where it's people doing work, which is, or the rest of the industry, like not even Image, it's just people doing work, which is more, hopefully closer to to personal work and art. And right. it's still done with so many of these things that are lashed to things that have to, you know, work along with, you know, serial tie-ins or whatever. So right, it's very right. strange. Well, I would say, um, so I... Uh... I often tell my my personal friends that that uh, had my father and I been contemporaries, we we would have hated each other because we were so different. And uh, I think that about you and I as well, because like 
in reading some of the stuff like that you you like kind of your views about things when you were younger like you i think you you said that uh you, know, you used to think like the, they used to think like the stuff that you did was the hotness and like everything else kind of sucked you know and like that kind of thing and 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 i guess i bring that up because you know i mean certainly um like all of us you know david and vince and i are all big fans of of uh at least on a on a specific basis like certain things we're, we're big fans of the big two like we're we're certainly all big Marvel fans and, and, you know, we, I think we all love the, uh, you know, the stuff that Scott and Greg are doing on Batman and stuff. So we're not like anti big two, but then again, we're not, we're not creators either. So, but, but yet I, I hear your, I've, I've seen your views on like the big two and how it's like, you know, um, I, I read that Brandon was very interested in the before Watchmen series and wanted to yeah, get in on it, you know, and, and do some stuff for them, but. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, but, but to that point, I mean, like, you know, you've been very open about the fact that. I should think, Twitter account, but, uh. Yeah, you think that, like, you know, the, the idea of, 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 you're basically just putting money in the coffers of big corporations, which is, you know, there's a lot of truth to that, right? Like, it's, it's, there's, there's no denying that. So, I mean, it's. Well, it's, it's all product. There's just varying levels of product. Right, yeah. and I want to point out that I that I wouldn't I wouldn't talk about that stuff if I didn't like it. Like yeah. I, I grew up on on a lot of that com- those comics a lot. And I I really you know I love Jack Kirby's work. You know I love fucking New Mutants comics by by Sienkiewicz and all that stuff. Nice. It's just Even very um, frustrating how much you know the just the the way that the corporate comics treat people. I find very frustrating. Right. And I find it frustrating that that it's kind of viewed as the, the the peak of things that you can do to do like a Spider-Man or Batman comic. Oh, I hear you, brother. Um, don't you think that's changing, though? Maybe, but it's I don't know. The culture is still there, where where it's kind of I don't know, it's 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 just strange to me that that they do such horrible things to people that they sue their own <laughs> their own their own creators. Right. And there's no backlash against that because because they they got everyone by their childhood, you know? It's like it's like you want to draw Spider Man still. It doesn't matter that the last guy that drew Spider Man, you know, died penniless. You know? Yeah, well, we- well no, I mean I think you're right and and, and that the the, the God Inspired Childhood is a great is a great um descriptor because I think it's true of both the reader as well as the creator, right? I mean like we we as readers, I mean I have a lot of embedded affinity for those characters so yeah. and if you go through walrus you can see how many <clears throat> how many spider-man and storm and and dark side drawings there are in there yep yeah exactly um and the same thing with the creators like i mean we have had creators on and and we are friends with creators who um some who have very successful creator-owned works and others who just don't do that at all but have, have said to us you know sort of in in conversations about this look you know i mean i hear that argument but i love drawing batman or i love drawing spider-man like that's awesome for me and and so i I guess it's like you know one size doesn't fit all exactly but i do think to your point like the idea of like creating a a legacy and 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 like a a uh a lifetime income requires that you're willing to sort of step out and create your own stuff yeah it's kind of your your name becomes worth more than any page sure Oh. It's like the Kirkman plan, like, you know, a lot of people, that was controversial when he made that YouTube video, but it's kind of proven itself out, right? Like five years later, it's kind of yep. shown yep. itself to be true. And uh, the, there are the rare birds that can straddle the line, like Scott Snyder. He can do his Batman and and have his American Vampire and, you know, the the, the creator-owned stuff. 
on the side, which is is that's that's the balance you have to strike. Yeah. But the 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 point Kirkman was making is you need to become um, an entity, a well known entity, before you can strike that yeah, balance. Exactly. So get in there, use them, and then do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is that, and that's kind of what I'm kind of railing against is the idea that you that the people kind of have because it does kind of continue to support this this culture of treating artists poorly and treating writers poorly that kind of because it's all so based off of that and I, and I never want to make it sound like I'm I have a lot of friends that do that stuff and I don't think there's anything wrong with it I think it's kind of a larger problem about about how comics are right and, yeah and it, it's bad because I'm I'm really used to I'm, I'm I'm hopefully mellowing out in my adulthood but I I, I grew up from such a from such a like graffiti and and everything was such a it's such a shit talking scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. really have never become accustomed to comics being so. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to word it. It's it's so it's different. It's it's expected in graffiti for you to say I'm the best and fuck you, <laughs> you know. Right. Right. And to say that in comic books, if I if I said you know I could find a 16 year old graffiti writer and and ask them what they think of their work, and if I said that same thing in an interview people would hate me, you know? I have to ask, do you still have the leather jacket that says F-U-K on it? I left it at a girl's place long ago. Oh, man. No, I don't know if I could pull off a leather jacket. I used to have hair down the middle of my back, too. It was a very, it was a different time. <laughs> wow, we're, we are so much alike. He said a mullet. He got it, married with a mullet. Mega mullet, yep. Nice. It's a good look. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> front part in the back. But, I mean, back to artists... It, you know, to go the Stan Lee route, if it wasn't for artists, uh, Spider-Man would be nothing more than a description on a cocktail napkin or, you know, say the Fantastic Four. It, it takes the, the, the visual half to realize these things. So yeah, and Stan Lee is a weird instance because I, cause I kind of feel like he's a marketing guy that wedged his name onto some some great comics. Right. <laughs> and, and, but more, more to the point, great people. I mean, yeah, exactly. And if you believe if you believe Kirby, then you could have taken Stanley out entirely, and and uh, and and he would have named Spider Man, and Ditko would have shown up and drawn it, you know? Right, right. But and and I always uh, you have to leaven the uh, the hate because I'm not a huge fan of Stan, but there was a period when Jack was claiming that he created everything. You know, towards the end, especially during those the pair of comics journal interviews where Jack was just, yeah, I created the Hulk and and Nick Fury and Black Panther, I did it all, you know, and and Roz was egging him on, and that that doesn't factor well into the argument either, because then who do you believe, you know? But if, I don't know. I mean, somebody. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, when when you separate them, and Kirby goes and makes the New Gods, and Stanley goes and makes Stripperella. Exactly right, and Ravage twenty ninety nine. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a fine series, but right, <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I like I like Spider Man two thousand. Oh, me? Yes, you're right. It's Peter David though. The guy rarely uh, slips. Who was the artist on that one? I uh, initially, Leonardi. Rick Leonardi, yeah. yeah. Rick Leonardi, and he did that thing where he actually designed the city, so so the the, the landmarks would be the same from every yep every side. That's so impressive. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, characters coming back, so you're probably very uh, excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I didn't know that they. That's strange. Yeah, there was there was talk about doing an image 2099 for a while, but I think it fell apart. <laughs> Still, it wouldn't have been United, that, just. Uh, it was just kind of uh, we're taking out the <laughs> idea of you know, talk cow. 
uh, so other than profit, um, and and uh, I think you have a, a multiple warhead special coming out in is it December? Yes. What else is on the horizon? Um, so I just got back from Seattle, where I got Jesus, I got four new books approved. I think. Really? Whoa. Saying like that, I just basically like I got Stevenson drunk and was like, <laughs> "Here's a list of books I want to do." So uh, there's a lot of stuff that will probably they want to announce themselves, but okay. But I've got a very busy year, and I'm doing some interesting things that I didn't expect them to to uh, like. I, I can talk about the stuff that that is not tied to anyone else, but like I've been playing around with the idea of doing a magazine, and they approved that, and so oh, I'm going to try to do really, my, yeah, um, kind of like a Jim Rugg thing, or you'd be. Yeah, like editor, um, kind of more like a like a heavy metal thing. More than oh, that. awesome! Oh boy, um, that would be real cool. And uh, there, I'm even doing an issue. There's this there's this guy named uh, Flux Pavilion. His name's Josh. He's a he's a, uh, a electronic musician. He did um, he did stuff on like the the Jay Z Kanye West album. Um, Which what song? Uh, he did the one that's the um, his song that was popular recently was the thing that was um, called I Can't Stop. And so, you know, Kanye West comes on and says, it's something like the Holocaust. That song. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he did that. And um, and uh, we're working right now on doing a, a comic book that comes with audio. So every chapter is part of a story and it's about the stuff about using magic, like, or using audio, like magic, like music. And so there's wars being fought with sound and he would do... Uh, he would do a, a song that coincided with a chapter of wars being fought with sound. So you kind of buy this book that comes with music that you play while reading it. And uh, I am like, so all over that. I mean, hopefully That's it'll work. It's, one of those things it's like, it could be a huge fuck up or it could work. And it's, it's kind of one of those things that is worse trying the fuck up, even if it doesn't succeed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's kind of where I'm, where I'm at right now is I'm, I'm trying to take as many risks as I can. Because I'm in this crazy, uh, amazing position where I can actually do whatever I want, and then that becomes this huge amount of weight be- between, like, if you can do what you want, you don't have to, day jo- to go to a day job that isn't what you decide to do, then, then you know, I don't want to squander it, you know? It's yeah, so- it's, why not? Well, yeah. you've alluded recently to, like, I think, like, you've kind of hinted vaguely at having some non-comic stuff in the works, like movie, video game type of things. Like, is that, like, just stuff like that's maybe happening or are you like knee deep in it, but you can't talk about it. I think it's happening. I probably can't talk about it. They made me sign a lot of papers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly just interesting because I've been able to deal with some really cool people. Okay. I'm going to sound like a, I'm going to sound weird and, and evasive, but uh, I, uh, it's, it's, I think it's going to happen. I mean, one thing I can talk about is I, I, I met with Pendleton Ward, and he was talking to me about doing. Oh, that's my boy. Uh, uh, <laughs> so that's that's not set or anything, but I did the test to do that, and um, so I don't think that'll get me in trouble talking about. But, well, yeah, I mean, so so Adventure Time and and your work. I mean, I think we've described your work in, in the past. When we've talked about it as unbridled creativity. So, like, I mean, I can understand where you would have some pedagogy with Adventure Time, but like, uh, do you? I mean. Again, it kind of ties back to something Vince asked you early on in the recording, which is that, like, how much time do you put in some of these things? You just kind of let your mind flow. Like, is there, you just like, 
are you tripping out? Are you like e-bombing it? Or are you just like <laughs> chilling out? Like what's the what's the process? Like you, is it just it's popping in your mind? And you're like, yeah, that's that's cool. Let's do it. Or do you just? I mean, do you have to like labor over it? Uh, it's a lot of labor. It is. I, okay. um, it's a lot of work to make myself excited and not think about working and just work. If that makes any sense. Okay. It's uh, you know, I I, I go to coffee shops with a sketchbook and sit down and 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 write out a lot of things and I read a lot of comics and I um. It's 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 weird. I I, I always say my job is to stay excited about comics. Mm-hmm. The making the work is a huge hassle and horrible if you're um if you view it as a job but if it's what you do for fun instead of watching a tv show or instead of playing a video game you decide to do comics then it's like you know it's still work but you know so right. is you know eating zelda you know <laughs> so. yeah now how easily distracted are you i'm trying to retrain my brain right now if that makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> i think twitter has been really uh weird fantastic and also bad at the same time for right me. right right because it's, that. it's this great platform you can just have like i think of it as like having aim on all the time and you can just kind of have a conversation uh, yeah. yes and it's public and you know i keep you know i'm, I'm constantly i think I, I i touched on this slightly before but I'll, I'll get into these weird things where i'll say something to pick on someone or say something mean, and it becomes a much bigger event than I planned oh, on. Oh, yeah. Oh, believe me, we've all had that. We yeah. we have said things on the show or, or on Twitter, and it's become like a shitstorm, and we'll be like, why did we say that? Like, <laughs> Just because, you know, you say it in passing, thinking you're just saying it to your, your buddies, and then you realize... No, you have a platform that's much bigger than that, and that you shouldn't have said that. You know, so I think it's also a, a matter of people being extremely hypersensitive too. But again, they're hypersensitive only because they care, right? Like they're they're like in a sense they're hypersensitive to what we say, which is like hugely flattering, right? Like that they give a shit. Yeah, but then it's it's because of that separation. I mean, if they were in the room with us when we were saying half of this stuff, they sure. you know no one would say boo. But because right. there's there's a, a disconnect between when we say it and when they hear it and then there's the whole anonymous internet thing too right it's it's tough to to get your point across without you know sticking your foot in your mouth yeah brandon Brandon, we should talk about a little bit about your your process because i mean you know uh, i have to say as a original art collector it's uh disappointing to me (laughs) i understand why but it's disappointing that like so many uh great artists that are working today are moving more and more to just digital um And I think you're you're still mostly traditional. I mean, I think you color digitally, but if you could speak to that, and then also like I think David uh, is is a he's our we call him our inking historian. He is a huge proponent of the art of inking, and I believe you you I think read something where you you had kind of said that like one of the biggest hurdles for you was when you made that transition from like you know drawing stuff in pencil to realizing that you had to ink it and. Uh, so I'm just curious about your thoughts about, you know, inking as a craft and then also your, your process. Yeah. I mean, inking is weird. I mean, when I, I, when I said that scene, when I was talking about being, you know, 11 or something, but um, I, it's weird. Cause I mean, the inking as a craft is such a, it's such a strange thing. Cause it's changing so much now. And I was never, I mean, I use, I use like micron pigmas, you know, like uh, oh. felt pens essentially to ink everything. Okay. And which is pretty far from, you know, croquil, <laughs> And it, it's strange because it really changes how the originals look. Like if you see some, like take a like Dave Sim original, it's so beautiful, but you can't really tell the difference between that and like a printed like Moritat ballpoint pen drawing. 
um, it's almost like it's there for the. I wonder if the printing process has changed things too, because you get so much higher quality scanning now. Sure. Um, what was what was the first question? <laughs> well, no, just just number one, your 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 thoughts on inking as a craft, and I mean, you ink yourself, obviously now, and then two, like just you, what is your artistic process these days, and how much is digital versus traditional? Um, yeah, so I draw everything on on paper, and a lot Bristol. of that. Is, yeah, but really cheap Bristol. Um, it was stuff that I originally would buy. I don't go to art supply stores to buy paper. I go to um, I go to uh, office supply stores because they sell basically the same stuff for a shit ton cheaper. Okay. And uh, back when I kind of got into that, it was because you could run the Bristol you'd buy through office supply stores through photocopiers. And so the way I would do color is I would um, I would draw something on a white white piece of paper, and then I'd put a bunch of brown and blue paper in the machine and photocopy it onto that, and then because I was doing everything with marker, I would cut out the the brown and blue and white versions of the picture and you'd get like your three basic colors there. So if you're doing a sky that's all blue, it makes more sense just to photocopy, just to cut out a sheet of blue paper and use it rather than uh, sit there with paint or a marker and fill everything in blue, especially deadline-wise. And then you add the white later too, sometimes with paint. But um, so I'm, I'm really, I like, I like, I like inking. I like drawing. I like um, I like making. I'm, I'm one of the things that kind of one of my little mantra things that sticks me to the page that kind of helps me draw is I just try to remind myself how exciting just on a caveman level it is that I have a stick that I can make lines with. <laughs> just like it's it's fantastic. It's just like oh wow, this thing makes lines, and then you can just enjoy the actual process of making the lines. And I think one of the dangers. Uh, something Marion was said before about the kind of dangers of working digitally is that as soon as you can undo every uh, mistake that you do instantaneously, it kind of takes the fear out of it. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um, and I like that idea. I like that feeling of making a line and just, you know, being like, Oh shit, if I screw this up, this is like, there's some weight on this line. I have to like, do this big curve of a word balloon or whatever and make it, and make it perfect. And I, and I feel like that's a kind of confidence. I don't want to, I don't want to risk losing and digital coloring just makes sense because you can kind of control the, the colors so much more and, and see exactly what it looks like in print. Hmm. I, I study your, your style pretty intently, uh, intensely. And, um, I don't see a whole lot of solid blacks in your work. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if that's preconceived or just um, the uh, the last link in the chain of your the way your style has developed, but it almost forces you uh, because you don't have that net that 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 those solid blacks you can use to camouflage certain areas and and uh, it forces you to really sculpt the line and that that's one of the things I admire the most about your work. Your line is alive. I mean it. There's a, it's a living thing where you, it seems to me, where you're thinking about every curve of the muscle and then if it goes into the jacket, every, you know, the, the ripples in the jacket are there, but you don't, it, they're not produced with the benefit of these, these, I mean, you're no Gene Colon, right? There's no really deep blacks in here to, to, to hide the shadows. You, you actually draw the shapes that would be in shadow, which I think is, is, Visually, it's 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 really um, 
well, Mobius did that too, right? Uh, sans cross hatching, right? So, uh, I mean, you're drawing. You're actually sitting there and you're 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 sculpting these images with line, whereas you know other people would just plop down some solid blocks. Dad, that that area is in shadow, right? You draw the pieces that are in the shadow, which I I, I love about your work. Thanks. There's this uh, story that I always think is funny, where um, Magnola was talking to Duncan Fergredo. I don't remember where I heard this and. And uh, Fregredo was drawing Hellboy, and he's like, this is, like, ha- I'm having such a hard time figuring out how do you put Hellboy's legs when he's riding a horse? And Mil- Mignola was just like, ah, just put it in black. <laughs> there you go. It's totally different in their styles. But um, I, have a real, I have a real thing where I don't, I don't like making lines if I don't know what they mean. Like I, okay. And, and it's something that can bug me about some other people's work is uh, if there's lines that I don't think the artist knows what they what they're for. Uh, yeah. Um, and sometimes some people make it work. You know, like I always think I call them scat lines. Like there are guys like like Pope probably does some of it. Um, but there's there's a lot of guys that just like throw lines down and it and it's and it kind of adds texture and everything to it. But I just I right. kind of have that ability. Uh, so yeah, everything kind of has to have a purpose, and it makes things super. It's probably just the big Mobius influence that I have. It's just, you know, he would talk about doing. He like stripped down his style as simple as he possibly could, and was doing these kind of Tintin-looking comics, mm-hmm. and and they went a lot faster. But he talked about how they were a lot harder to do because every everything had to look. It had to be perfect. You couldn't really hide stuff. Yeah, like I draw much more cartoony than him. You know, it's like. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Too high on my horse because I'm drawing these like Charles Schultz peanuts characters, you know, <laughs> like Milo Minara. I mean, there's... like Tintin and Asterix. I mean, those are clearly influences on you, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the puns and Asterix are kind of insane. And yeah, Minara's on the other side where he's drawing these like sometimes almost photorealistic looking characters yeah. with just line and no color. Sometimes. Yep, and I gotta say there are few guys in your class when it comes to lips. Tits and ass. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, ass. you, you have an ass. you have an affinity for those shapes. I don't. I don't know. Well, you you must love love the ladies. That's all you I can say because <laughs> you, you, there are very few guys that can do it like you. That's true. I'm unfortunately very heterosexual. And I can't be. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> That's funny. I'm doing a uh, I'm doing a um, comic book dealing with kind of how I used to draw. I, I'm reprinting my old um, my old multiple warhead stuff. Mm-hmm. And looking through the artwork, it's really funny the differences between me at, in my late twenties and me in my mid thirties, and like how toned down I am now. And it's it's me. I'm drawing myself younger, wearing like a giant uh, ass on my head, reading like all this porn, and talking <laughs> to myself now, and and me being like, "Dude, tone it down." And the younger version of me is like, "What? I don't understand what the problem is." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thankfully, gravity does not seem to have an effect on breasts in your worlds, which is yes. which is awesome. No doubt. It's. Uh, <laughs> I always I always thought about how there's that um, when I was when I was younger, I'd always think about how like you know like uh, like J. Scott Campbell was so good at drawing really attractive ladies and then but he he didn't quite have the storytelling yeah and uh and i always loved the idea of of trying to if i could try to capture the mix of like what was what i found so appealing about his work mixed with like you know what i found appealing of uh, like somebody shiro or something and so it was it was a really big deal to me when i was growing up to try to learn how to draw pretty ladies but then I was, like, if you go to a con J. Scott Campbell, who hasn't drawn a comic in 
like two decades at this point, still has the <laughs> longest line of anybody in Artist Alley. It's crazy. Yeah, it's true. But I, but at the same time, it's kind of, I find that terrifying too, because, because like it, it, like back to Kirby, you know, being his birthday and everything, his, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone talks about his career basically starting when he was forty, and Mobius not calling himself Mobius until he's like thirty-two. Right. And Campbell can't be that old. Like he's got to be in his like early forties or something now. Yeah. And he's just as a comic artist, he's done. Just kind of depressing. I mean, maybe he's happier as drawing pinup girls, but I that that was always my fear to turn into one of the like I never wanted to just be a pinup girl guy because you see those right. guys they're like Adam you know, Hughes. Yeah, or or even like I don't know Frank Cho or something where he's drawing yeah. essentially. At some point, he's going to be an old man drawing girls that look like his children. Yeah, Michael Dooney. Like, there's guys that just make a living now drawing that same image. Yeah. Or, like, um, I got in trouble recently uh, picking on uh, Phil Noto. <laughs> <Thing. laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a really good artist, but it's like, it's. I find it so. I, I think it's me kind of almost projecting my own personal fears because, because he, he strikes me as a guy that doesn't have any interest in stretching beyond his comfort zone. Right. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. Like, I remember, um, I think it was maybe Jim Lee, when Jim Lee was on uh, the uh, Kevin Smith podcast. I think it was it was that or, or it was it was either that or. But I heard him on a podcast, and you know, they whoever was the host asked him essentially, like in a nice way. Well, look, you know, I mean, you're Jim Lee. You're you're you know one of the seminal artists of many of our lifetimes. But you know, you haven't really evolved. You know, you're kind of just you do the same stuff, right. and. Um, you know, like a, a lot of guys, especially when you're at that caliber, could kind of like backpedal or, or kind of you know uh, dissuade that talk. But but Jim was like, well, look, I mean, you're 100 percent right. You know, my style hasn't changed, and it's by design because I got to a point in my career where, like, if I tried to change my style, I would have had everybody in uproar. You know, and so I've been kind of forced to to do the same thing for yeah. 20 years. And, and like, on one hand, I was like, you know, again, I'm not an artist. But on one hand, I'm like, ah, it's kind of bullshit. That's a cop out. But then on the other hand, I'm like, you know what, though? Like, there's probably a lot of truth to that because he's drawing mainstream work. And, and two, every time he puts pen to paper, it's the best-selling book in the industry, right? It's like, so, so he's probably right. Like, people want to see Jim Lee comics look like Jim Lee comics. You know? Yeah, I think yeah. it's I think it's a big line between the difference between making product and making art, though. Mm-hmm. And and I think Jim Lee's at this great point where he could be taking some of the biggest risks of anyone. Yeah, and it's a really shame that he's not because I mean, but still, you know, his his kids will still go to college just fine if he craziest <laughs> comics imaginable. I right. think the one time he he did try to, to change it, it, <laughs> yeah. was, it was you know it was common. It was, uh, yeah. he, was, he was he was aping Miller yeah. and Sin City's look with Death Blow. Right. So oh, and that, right. it could have been either not the right time or just that it wasn't a Jim Lee style people wanted to see. But you know, points for trying, but it just I don't think yeah. it was it was the right mix. Very unfortunately yeah. named uh, Death Blow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is a, a rough way to go. Um, oh, I remember! I remember him taking a sabbatical in the in the nineties and and talking every about every year. Up to pain. <laughs> after every year, <laughs> was that? I said in I, every year, taking a sabbatical yeah. in every year. I was taking that sabbatical every year. But um, then, then you got pleasant surprises like uh, guys like uh, Keith Giffen, who who seem to try and mix it up every decade yeah. or so you know yeah. i mean the trencher thing was a came totally out of left field and now That's he's true. in the the kirby mode and then before he was just giffen 
So yeah. I mean, he he's he's had multiple. He's a chameleon. It's like David Bowie. There you go. <laughs> so I mean, Brandon, you've really been clear. You know that that you you're into scenes, right? Like you you're unlike like Stoko, who kind of seems to be comfortable being a recluse and kind of just you know unplugged from the fandom. Oh, yeah. You throughout your your artistic journey have been all about being like in a scene, plugged in, getting a sense of like what's hot, what's not, that type of thing. So on that front, like two things. Like one, are you planning on hitting a lot of cons in the next, you know, year or so? And uh and and in spite of, you know, yes or no on that front, like what are you what are you into? Like do you do you find the time or make the time to, you know, read other comics from other people or do you just are you too busy? Oh no, I, I read constantly. Um, I'm doing a couple cons. I'm going to England to Thought Bubble at the end of okay. the year, and um, let's see, I always go to the Emerald City Convention in Seattle. That's a big deal for me. Uh, but it's conventions are a bad place for me to like. I can meet a couple artists and everything, but uh, I, I kind of feel like my job when I'm at a conventions is to be nice to the people that pay my rent. You know, <laughs> so. I tend to just kind of hang out with people to read my books and draw pictures for people and everything. I've got this trick that I picked up from Mortat where um, when I was his assistant, he, he made it very clear that you don't charge for sketches at conventions. And the, the, the mean way to put that is that it makes the guys next to you look like assholes because they're charging $20 for a drawing. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're right. I mean, like I said, that, that, uh, that Windy City Con, when I first met Justin, he, he didn't charge for sketches at the Elephant Man booth. And obviously everyone else at the con did and uh it was shocking you know he he took like the european approach that's how they do it in europe but but that was shocking yeah so. and that's uh it's a really big deal to me because i i'm really i've really lucked out on uh like i've got you know i'm not i'm not gonna be jim lee ever or whoever but i the people that buy my work i tend to get along with fairly well and i've had, like i have so many friends that i've met just because you know, I did a signing. I have like one of my closest friends in, in Vancouver is a scientist guy that I hang out with who just bought a page off of me once and we were just kept hanging out all the time. And, and I like taking that consumer seller out of it, you know? Yeah. And just kind of hanging out with people. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's really important for me to dig up work. All, and the internet makes it so much easier to, to find all this artwork and find, new comics like one of my favorite comics right now is this thing called tj in a mall it's a, a web comic by uh, ek weaver w- so, what is it again it's called tj in a mall tj uh, animal yeah it's it's like describing the story doesn't it's it's like a gay road trip story about these guys okay. that are driving across the country together but it's so steeped in kind of manga storytelling mixed with kind of 80s indie comics like almost this um I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like this kind of Terry Moore mixed with manga. Um, and I feel like that's even underselling it because the E.K. Weaver is such an impressive storyteller. Um, like that's just something I found online and I've been reading every, every week whenever it comes out. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm super into Michael Forge's work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a ton of stuff. I'm, I feel like I'm so, it's really interesting right now. There's kind of a disconnect between a lot of comics that are being made and a lot of comics that you find in comic stores. And I tend <laughs> to still latch on to uh, the stuff not found in comic stores right now. Sure. Um, 
Like, now, I would love there to be monthlies that I buy in, but there's just not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And DeForge is so young, too. Um, what, yeah. Is he a meat house guy? No, he's, he's no. too young. No, he's, oh, he? he's Yeah, Michael is very young. And um, I would be very hesitant to meet him. I mean, I don't know what he's like in real life, but judging by the work there there's a a darkness to that work i mean is he a a scary dude or is is he exceedingly normal no he's incredibly uh pleasant wow he was he was super nervous when i first met him because he was you know 22 or something and was coming to vancouver to do a radio show and um and he's really kind of over the past couple years he's really kind of grown into knowing that people have this love for his work and it's really cool and I worry about a lot of creators who get that kind of attention when they're that young, but he's so, I mean, I got, I got, I was fairly pissed at the, at the comics journal a while back because they wrote this article called like the, um, the weight of genius or something about the forge. And it was this article, which is just essentially like, Oh my God, it's going to be so hard for this guy to grow as a creator because he's so successful now. And, uh, and I I talked to the forge about it because I was just like, it's shitty that they, put that out there because because it's not what a young creator needs to hear right right yep uh you know it's fine i guess but it's just i don't know but and he he's, he very- seemed to explode like fully formed i mean his fully realized style from the get-go yeah no doubt um yeah his, his, his writing is so mature i was really have you have you read the lose yes. number three mm-hmm. yeah the, um it's like a middle-aged divorce flying dog mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the like character that he puts into that without having lived any of those experiences is so impressive yeah but some of the things are so disturbing i mean lynchian disturbing it's just uh that, that's why I, it's, it's so good to hear that he's so well so grounded and uh i, mean, I don't see him when he's like alone in the shower <laughs> every time i've hung out with him he's he's, been, he's stabbing a cantaloupe yeah <laughs> He did. What's that? No, no I just, just I'm, I'm remarking that my co-host said stabbing the cantaloupe. Yeah, we've all we've all been there. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he said I saw him do a talk in in Oslo, and he and he said some really cool stuff about how um, how when he approaches his work, it's that he just comes up with a stupid idea, and then and then essentially just tries to make that bad idea into something good by continuously working on it. And so that's why he has these comic books about like a guy whose body is Snoopy's body, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and, and I think probably why he, he does so much dark stuff because it's, we probably all come up with these like insane ideas and then dismiss them, but he seems to hold on to those and, and, you know, talk about like, what if somebody caught a disease that, you know, made everything in their body turn into bondage gear? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right organs or leather with spikes on it uh and, yeah uh, and um, ant comic is just brilliant too yeah yeah he's, he's really impressive and i i hope I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with longevity and that's another thing with the the kind of mobius thing is is i'm really amazed at how he you know worked until the end of his life and his work never seemed to decline in quality right yeah okay. no that's true well maybe yeah. maybe it's your role uh as uh deforges obi-wan you need you need <laughs> to guide him uh, Stoko always told, tells me that I have a I have a fucking mutant superpower of killing hero worship. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice. Because uh, when I met James, it was 
he was, you know, he's a lot younger than me too. He's, oh, is he? Yeah, he's um, how old? He's he's about ten years, nine years younger than me. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 36. Damn. So wait, he's in his mid 20s. Yeah, he's just a couple oh, years. Jesus, old. I had no idea. I figured he was in his like more like orange. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of great, and he's he's another guy who's so mature in his work. It's really daunting because I think my work, like uh, my early work, is so bad. <laughs> like I'm so glad that my stuff. My early stuff that I published still hasn't been found. What's funny is, can I tell you what an asshole I feel like? Because here I am, like texting you back and forth for to schedule this, and I'm like, "Yeah, man, I want to buy a page from from perverts." And then, like, then I realize that you hate that work, and I'm like, "Oh, no, shit. I don't hate that work at all." It's just okay. It's uh, I, I like this. I'm talking. I'm thinking about the stuff I did when I was 19, like okay. October or whatever. Perverts is fun. I when I did perverts, I I specifically felt like I was doing it to. Um, I was having a hard time with the artwork and I specifically felt like I was doing it to uh, the ideal reader I had would be a guy that found it in a gas station bathroom. <laughs> and so it took a lot of pressure of it. Off of well, you, I mean, what I didn't, you had a tough time with that, right? Like the, like the, uh, like the, the publisher would like just remove panels from the, from the, from the sequence, right? If it didn't have enough sex in it. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a scene missing that I still can't find that I was really happy with when I drew and it's very frustrating. I had this whole video game sequence where they're ordering food and, and talking about how the the ejaculate in the porn movies is kind of synthetic vanilla. <laughs> There's thinking that idea through right there. That's awesome. Well, I, I think we've monopolized more than enough of um, it's true, but, our, our guest's time here. But, Vince, but, but we just have to hear about multiple warheads and plans for Upcoming issues. Yeah, you're the guys with jobs and families. I'm just sitting here uh, in my pajamas. <laughs> nice. Well, we do. Um, multiple Warheads, you said you have a special coming out in December. A giant yeah. size special, right? Yeah, I'm reprinting all of the... Because uh, I was going to put all this in the trade. It's the original... Because Multiple Warheads started as a porn comic. And then um, kind of evolved past that into a series of short stories before I did the image run. And... Uh, it's one of those things where I kind of don't pay attention and then realize that people are selling this stuff on eBay for 50 bucks for a $3 comic book. Yeah. <laughs> I realize that I should probably reprint it. So um, Image is nice enough to kind of put it all out as one 80-page comic book, and then that's all going in the trade. Oh, that's uh, great. People that buy the trade won't be getting... You can get. You can either buy it entirely as the trade, or you can just... If you already bought all the issues, you can buy that 80-page thing. Nice. And I'm doing a new five-page thing for it, and, and Marion's doing some art for it, too. Oh, and me and Marion are collaborating on some new stuff, too. Nice. Sweet. Nice. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, now, just off the top of my head, did you have any input as to the price point for the King City trade? Because I th- I thought that was one of the uh, – definitely one of the pluses that the thing was so damn cheap. Yeah, it was priced like manga. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, a lot of that was just image. I mean, it was interesting because um, – all right. The the nice thing about that story is that I was not I did not have a great relationship with Tokyo Pop into it in relation to mm-hmm. it, and so part of the cheapness of the book was that Tokyo Pop was getting a royalty cut, and I think it was Image basically just being like, let's just print this for cheap, and people can buy it, and we don't have to, you know, like like when I would deal with Oni Press a lot, Oni Oni is really into making these kind of picture box quality books where they're they're putting it. They're putting up slightly more expensive books for readers to like 
you know, know they're getting better paper or whatever, where image is much more on the other side, but they just, they want readers and they really just are like, how cheap can we put this out um, to get it into as many people's hands as possible? And I think that's really smart. And then, then they can reprint it later as a hardcover or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the first profit trade is like 10 bucks, which is also mm-hmm. crazy for six issues. Yep. It's very smart. Smart way to do it. Yeah. I like, I'm very fond of how image is running things now. I just, um, I mean, they spoil the hell out of me. So, so of course I am. Well, I think they know they have a good thing. So don't, they, don't say too much good because Ron Richards will be listening and think it has something. Yeah. He's going to, I mean, me and Ron really bonded over a lone Excalibur last time I saw it. Was, well, I told you, I mean, I think, um, as, as Ron, I think mentioned to you, I have, uh, a number of like jam pieces that I, I I get at conventions of like different artists that I like, and I just started at C two E two an Excalibur jam piece. Oh, nice! So, so I will save you a square. Please do. Yeah. What have you got? Anything in there yet? Yeah, I've got uh, Kyloon. I've got Widget. I've got uh, Lockheed, nice. and I've got Captain Britain. Actually, which was done by uh, fellow Image creator Ryan Brown. Oh, cool! So, what's your favorite era of Excalibur? Well, just just by way of reference, I am. I mean, Alan Davis is pretty much it for me. Like he's he's uh, he's my guy. Yeah. So uh, so you know that 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 first the first you know uh, run was was the bomb for me, and then when he came back and and wrote and drew it, that was also the bomb for me. So yeah. Yeah. anything like I mean, I'm a huge Excalibur fan just because it was so synonymous with Davis. Like so, although I think the early twenty twenty two issues were the best. I mean, I'm fine with the Kylo and Micro Max era yeah, as well. His clan, it was a clandestine. Yeah, that was his. Yeah, that was his. Yep, clandestine. Yep. Davis is that, that guy doesn't make anything bad, does he? Nah, he doesn't. He doesn't. Well. Yeah. Maybe Wolverine, but I, I think the peak of Excalibur for me is the uh, Nightcrawler Warlord of Mars issue. That is oh, just a fan. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Where it's funny, Brandon, Brandon, that you're you're a huge Excalibur fan because, uh, like, it's just weird how like that uh, that unites people. Like I um I uh, Jason Latour is a huge Excalibur fan too. Like I was at C two E two and uh, I was actually hanging out at Scotty Young's table. And Latour was at the table next to Scotty, and I had asked Jason like early in the con if he would draw on a jam piece of mine, and he was like, "Nah, I don't really like jam pieces. I'm not into that." And then he heard me talking to Scotty, and he heard me mention Excalibur, and Latour was like, "Wait a minute, what about Excalibur?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know, I have an Excalibur jam piece." And he's like, "You mean like the Excalibur?" And then he was like, "All in was like, oh, it's my favorite. That was my jam." So it's kind of weird. I guess it's like just a byproduct of being in your mid 30s. Like that's. It's one of those runs that stands the test of time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's so much stuff like that, and that's that's a great thing that is happening in modern comics. Is I think in the past there was such a a line in the sand between indie comics and superhero comics, like in the right. '90s, and now it's like there is much more discussion about people just being fans of comics. And well, and I know. think it's encouraging too. Again, to hear like someone like you say that because I think fair or unfair, you, you might have had a reputation as being someone who was like, "Oh, fuck the big two. It's not my scene, you know, so it's cool to hear that you may not want to work for the big two, but you're still a fan of some of the work. Yeah, and I'm sure I've said fuck the big two, but I'm sure you have, yeah. <laughs> but um and part of that, I, I should also point out that part of that is that I'm in this crazy position that I can say that where most sure. people in comics like I can say you know, I can say fuck Mark Millar and, and uh 
you know, like um, Straczynski okay. or, or whoever, I can make fun of Walking Dead and it doesn't hurt me. Uh, it doesn't hurt my career, which is amazing to me. Like Stevenson, it's funny, Stevenson, when, when we uh, met at this last weekend, he, he said, he was like, I told someone I was going to meet you and they're like, is he an asshole? And he was like, oh, no, it's fine. And then and they're like, but I guess they got that from your Twitter. And I was like, yeah, never read my Twitter. It's true. It's such a joy to read. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, funny. Makes my day when I see some of that stuff. And I'm not, I, I don't want to be mean on there ever, but it's 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 fun to it's fun to kind of poke at things. Sure. Yeah. And maybe I mean maybe sometimes I mean to be mean. I can't but, believe we, I can't believe we've gone two hours without talking hip hop. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there more time? Uh no. Well, <laughs> not, not, if it's, not if it's for hip hop. <laughs> for you and I, there is, but Vince and David are not hip hop fans. Well, well, I'm not not well, the degree you are, bro. No, right. no, David likes hip hop to an extent, but he's not like hardcore. Vince can't stand hip hop. I no, don't say that. I, it's not that <laughs> I can't stand it. I I like, you know, Run DMC. I like the good stuff. <laughs> But that's not hip hop. Where there's enough of it, where you can, where you can probably find something that somebody likes right. over the, all of it. But it is, it is. I had I went to a I went to a party the other day, and they were like, um, "Oh, talk to my friend. They're into hip hop too." And I was just immediately like, "This is not going to go well," <laughs> uh, because he was like, "Yo, I love uh, Jeezy." Yeah, he was. He was uh, oh, he was really into Tech Nine. And I wasn't trying to be insulting. Tech Nine's a guy who like wears makeup and everything. Yeah, like clown makeup. And I was like, oh, like the insane clown posse guy. And he was like, no. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I've gone very much turned around from being into like attempting to be cool when I was young, and now I've just kind of relaxed. And now I just listen to whatever's entertaining to me, and, sure. and it means that I, I listen to much more ridiculous much more ridiculous hip-hop now than I used to? Uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know th- that there's such a thing as ridiculous hip-hop. <laughs> I'm sure we could find you something. <laughs> I'm sure we could. Yeah, I, I am both the whitest white man you've ever seen and uh, and, and I have mad flavor, so. <laughs> it's a good combination. Is That's there anything it. that... So what clicks with you, Jason? What's the... Um. Well, I mean, I, I am... You know, I would say eighty percent, maybe even ninety percent of the music I listen to is hip hop. So, like, I have a pretty wide net on that front. Um, like of late, I uh, I have to say, as much as I think Jay Z is the, uh, you know, the the greatest of all time in terms of his career, I think uh, I think this last album was was <laughs> was rough, <laughs> so to speak. It was I not pretty saying some Nirvana stuff. We had a lot of talk recently. You can you can make an argument that Jay Z is the Jim Lee of hip hop. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, I think Yeezus is is like equal parts failure and brilliance in the sense that I genuinely think Kanye was was going for something like profound with this album, and he it's really stretched himself. What's that? And that one's a weird mix. Like he's. He's got stuff where he's he's got the um, and and I, I like that album, but he's like doing things in it where he's like taking taking songs where that are talking about uh, lynchings, and then his raps over the lynching song is about his breakup with his girlfriend, which is really weird. Yeah, exactly. No, that's the thing. I mean, it's like it's 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 
I think musically, like in terms of his, uh, you know, the the production value, I think it's 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 brilliant. Like I think it's it's a it's an amazing album. Um, but <laughs> but lyrically, it's it's like an abject failure. I think it's like <laughs> I mean, I think if they released an instrumental version of it, it'd be it'd be right up there with. I mean, I like Vince is a big fun. Zappa fan. It'd be up right up there with that kind of thing. But right, he worked with this guy named Rhymefest on that, who I really like. Yeah, yeah. and um. That that guy is also a huge comic book dude. He did a he did a commercial for a comic book show, a comic book store in Chicago, and he uh, he even did a video that that uh, where he transforms into all these different comic book characters, and uh, he turns into 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 Savage Dragon in that even. Sure, which is cool to see. I mean, um, I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of like Asher Roth. Like I like that stuff. Um, uh, I'm a huge Goody Mob fan, so it's nice to see them back. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, I definitely can get with that. Um, Vince and David right now are just kind of lying yeah, on the floor. They're, they're good though; they'll be good. They'll be good. Um, <laughs> they'll keep. You know, I'm a child. I'm a child of the of the '80s and the early '90s. So, you know, for me, like Trump called Quest and you know Kanye and uh, and 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 uh, Tupac and and Digital Underground and right. And, uh, and, and, yeah, you know, I mean, like, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, De La Soul. I mean, that that's like my my core stuff. But yeah, that was my gateway drug is De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest. There you go. Yeah. So you know, but no, nah, but like I said, I mean, I think I think uh, I, I think Asher's pretty cool right now. Definitely. Um, I mean, I can't front. I think uh, my son, you know I have three sons, and uh, my sons are all like crazy into uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, and I have to say, like I I I give Ryan Lewis a lot of credit, like in Macklemore, like they the especially that song. Um, I don't know the name of it. Uh, it's like I can't change, is it? But oh yeah, song- no, that one's really impressive. I, I saw the BMAs, and that was like, yeah. Like I mean, and I see that just again as a dad, like to to have a song that's like a major hit that's about like like young men not being afraid of like being accepting of like you know of 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 gay of gay sexual you know of, of sexuality of like and uh, being at peace with with who you are like sexually like that that's that's transcendent you know like that's uh Again, to have like my my eleven and ten year old sons and their friends like liking that song and hearing it is is pretty impressive. I just heard yeah. that today. Yeah, Nina, I mean, Nina likes again, that song a lot. It, it, again, yeah. the song in and of itself is fine, but like the notion that it's teaching kids at a point in their lives where they're most likely to be bigoted because it's all about fitting in, right? And to teach them that it's okay to be you know gay and it's okay to have like different views and it doesn't make you a bad person like that's impressive as hell because it's real hard to break that that barrier and they did it like 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 he you know he he made a song about a thrift shop and by doing that he kind of like snuck in this Trojan horse about like like sexual tolerance and that's right. pretty awesome so right it's also it's it's interesting too because like when I when I was growing up in hip hop or whatever it was you know it was the early nineties and and like NWA and the, the, the complete flip of that situation now. So it is amazing to think about, uh, you know, where just just, everyone had to be, like, I'm always talking to Marion about how I have such ingrained, like bad, tough guy things into my persona, into my, into my personality that I have to like weed out, you know? Well, I'm a huge ice cube fan. I mean, he's my favorite MC of all time. And, uh, you know, I think about like, uh, you know, like in, in Boys in the Hood, like, you better take your ass to the stove. You know, it's like, I mean, it's like, you know, sexist, bigoted. You know, I mean, like, he, you know, that's not the role model you want to have, but, but, it's like, you said, it makes an impression, right? Yeah. And I'm, and I like, I listen to a huge amount of like Eminem and stuff. And that's, there's some things in there that are, 
just yeah, just flawed. I just watched Eight Mile with my oldest, and I tried uh, to talk to Bob Shrek about Eight Mile when it came out. And such a, I always think about that experience about the relationship between comic books and hip hop. Sure, because it was you know me talking to this famous editor who's you know so influential in comics, who's you know a middle aged gay guy, and of course he's not going to like Eight Mile. Right, <laughs> but it yeah, you know, we didn't even get into that. Like you, you, you aspired to like get a get a, a publishing credit at Vertigo for a long time, right? And then you yeah. just kind of like, ah, fuck it. Well, it, it was it was a lot of it was just the point of that they, and this is interesting about Vertigo is they. I don't know how it is right now. I think they're they're changing a little bit because they kind of have to. But there was no way into Vertigo at that point, mm-hmm. and they they were telling me that. Um, that I remember uh, Dan Rastler, who was the editor of Justice League at the time, and it helped me out a lot. He was he gave me the speech about um, which says how long ago it was. It was about uh, Moulin Rouge and about how um, Nicole Kidman wasn't necessarily the best singer or the best actor, but she was Nicole Kidman, and they can't and if I, unless I'm a Nicole Kidman, they couldn't let me into Vertigo. <laughs> that was funny because it was this, it was this catch twenty two of being like if they published me at, at Vertigo, I'd immediately have a name. You know, Paul Pope got in there because he was already Paul Pope. And even like, even guys like Jason Aaron, who just got in there because, you know, I don't know the whole story, but I assume a lot of it's just nepotism from his relationship to his his, famous uncle or cousin or whatever that wrote the the book that they based um, Full Metal Jacket off of, if I'm remembering correctly. And so that's another thing about kind of the community of comics that I think about is that it's, I think it's really important because people don't really, breaking into comics is still a thing and people don't really break in unless someone helps them. Yeah. The generation of people making comics now really kind of controls who gets in next. And uh, it's interesting too, because I mean, also on the front of like uh, uh, gender and race and everything, people are going to bring in who they're comfortable with. And so a lot of times discussions become these things about like, let's bring in new black characters and new gay characters rather than talking about bringing in like minority and, you know, sexual minority or whatever creators, which I think is something that really has to happen a lot more. Mm-hmm. That's true. Which is actually, you know, it's scary. It's outside of people's comfort zones. You know, it's a lot easier to get Brian Wood to write about um women in comics than to bring in like a scary woman to write about women in comics. <laughs> right. I don't remember what started that rant, but blame it on Nicole Kidman. Yeah, Nicole Kidman. There you go. She's the root of all evil. Yeah. Tom Cruise. All right. We're we're nearing the two and a half hour mark. <laughs> what does well, that I mean, Vince? Appreciate you guys letting me talk your ears off for this long. Oh, that was great. Um no we have a little something special at the end of this episode, so make sure you stick around past the point where we say goodbye. You're such a good guy. Yeah, we must do this. Um, as usual, this little uh, dog and pony show was sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. Get your comics, get them fast, get them cheap, and don't leave your house. Uh, if you're a first-time customer, use the code, David? EOC8. EOC8 gets you an extra 8% off your already massively discounted order. Late orders or order additions, don't bug them in the least. And you can get your previews really, really cheap, like a buck and change. Just do it. Um, and uh, while you are there, hop on over to their sister site, In Stock Trades, and look for the work of our um, guest, 
Mr. Brandon Graham, because I'm sure they got some stuff there of his. Buy it. It's worthwhile. You need it. And that's my In Your Travels this week. Go buy Brandon Graham stuff. It's a cop-out, but it's a fitting it one. It is cop-out. It's yeah, a fitting that. one. Come on. All right. Well, then I'll um, I'll say that uh, I'll go into it more next week, but it's an image book, not made by Brandon Graham. But I will say go and check out. second. I just read the second issue of Satellite Sam. Me too. Cool. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah. Well, nice. Um, I wish that I could uh, switch things up, but I can't. I mean, in honor of uh, our guests, I was going to say, in your travels, make sure you pick up both Profit, which uh, has two trades out already, uh, as well as uh, Multiple Warheads, which um, has just been fantastic. And uh, if you if you can't like a comic with a lead character named Sexica, and a two-penis werewolf boyfriend, then you don't like fun. I don't, I don't For real. For real. Yeah. You know? you know what I do want to talk about next week? Speaking of picture box. Yeah. I got um, uh, Shigeru uh, uh, Sugiura's Last of the Mohicans. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Is it good? All right. Respect. Brandon, do you have anything you want to like uh, tell people to read that uh, maybe is from like a friend or a creator that you appreciate? Um. Yeah, the TJ Animal book is worth looking at. It's E.K. Weaver's TJ Animal. It's just a webcomic. Mm-hmm. Um, that, one, that one's really worth tracking down. Um, Finder, I've been really impressed by. Yes. Oh, nice. Carlos Speed. Yes, deal. right. Or, uh, you know, Actually, even... I, think, I think it's just Carlos Speed now. Really? I, yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think so. Okay. It, what, it um, to, is, is, Brandon, is Marion coming out with anything soon? Uh, yeah, actually, the next Marion book will be something that I'm writing and she's drawing that we don't have okay. a name yet, but I'm very excited about it. Nice. You can't nice. just say Marion, though. You have to say Sweet, Sweet Marion. Sweet, Sweet Marion. There you my go. My muse, Miss, Mrs. Churchland, my muse. My Sweet Marion. That is so endearing. It's so true. simple. It is just, yeah. So, uh, Brandon, thank you so yeah, much man, for being I mean, here. Seriously, thanks a ton for coming on. Uh, hope you had a good time. We, we had a blast. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. We, we, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, meeting you in person, sharing a, maybe a meal and a beverage, uh, at a con soon. I like both those things. But yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. And yeah, anytime. Cool. We awesome. can have the Brandon Graham report like once a month. You can come <laughs> on. Deal? Yeah. I think so, yeah, that's what else yeah. am I doing? Uh, the song. <laughs> 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 nice. Thanks a lot again. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, like I said, stick around because Chris is going to talk to someone and we will be back uh, same stinking time, same channel uh, and we love you so much. Bye. Peace out. Goodbye. Hey there folks, it's Chris. Uh, I'm able to, to sneak in and, uh, and talk with a couple of my favorite uh, people for this episode. I'm joined by Tony and Kara Moore. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having us. Hi. <laughs> you guys are uh, all of a sudden um, have become what convention organizers and are uh, are some of the folks behind the upcoming Cincinnati Comic Con, which uh, which we are here to uh, to talk about. And uh, and that's that's the official name, right? Cin- the Cincy Comic Con. Cincy Comic Con, Cincinnati Comic Con. Yeah, we go by Cincy because it's easier to spell. There's less. Ends and eyes and you don't call it the natty, the na- the nasty natty. <laughs> it's not so nasty anymore. Not so nasty I, I, anymore. I, I, yeah, it's, it's the it's the Queen City. 
So this is like the queen, the queen. It is. Uh, and yeah. it's ta- it's taking place uh, next weekend. It is September sixth through the eighth, and uh, it, it's you guys are jumping. I, uh, we um, here in Chicago, uh, my friend Brian Salazar and I put together the uh, Windy City Comic Con, which you were so kind as to be a guest at uh, in our second year, and that was a one day show. You guys have jumped in and are doing a three day show. That is amazing what how did the a how did this all come about and how have you managed to be so aggressive to do a three-day show and then we'll go through like the guest list and your programming i mean this is this is a full-on full-fledged comic-con it's amazing yeah i mean i don't know if you know my personality or not but uh (laughs) go big or go home right sure uh no no it's it's ballsy and we're scared to death at least i am uh you know because we called in all of our friend favors at once if we screw it up then we don't have any friends but no we we i mean tony and i do lots of shows as Mm -hmm. you know yeah like 15 16 cons a year sometimes i mean it's it's a lot and we obviously love it, and we want to bring our friends to Cincinnati and say, hey, look what we have, because we're a great art town. We've got a lot of uh, creative people that live here. Um, yeah, uh, it, it came about just because Tony, myself, um, the other partners, Kendall Swafford, uh, Bill Haters, and Brian Livingston, you know, we're all friends, and we were like, hey, we could do that. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, we we really had in mind the kind of show we wanted to put on, and uh, and there's not really anything like it in our neck of the woods. So we're you know pretty centrally located, and uh, it just seemed like the perfect thing uh, for us to try to do. And and we if we felt like we were in the perfect spot to try to do it, so we uh, yeah, like I said, we we called all our friends and said you know hey let's put this together. And that's uh, awesome. And then the the five partners, uh, you know, we've just been working like dogs trying to trying to cobble it all together. Uh, Kara and Kendall have been pretty impressive to watch. I mean, they're Kara's a force in uh, organizing shit and making stuff happen. Uh, well, I mean, f- from from someone that put together a, a show on a on a much smaller scale than than what it looks like you guys are doing i mean it's a it's a tremendous amount of work so you know i the first thing the first thing that you notice is that whenever you go to the website it's an awesome website so, so that's kudos. all kendall that's, yeah. that's awesome yeah he's 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 a master and uh yeah that's all kendall and he likes doing it i mean uh ask him again in a week if he likes doing it he'll probably say no but <laughs> Well, um, let's talk about some of the some of the awesome people that you come that you have coming to the show. You know, first of all, you've got you've got two names that that if they don't if they don't get people excited, they're they're just not comic book fans. You've got you know two of the two of the masters of the medium. You've got Bernie Wrightson and Arthur Adams as your um, your, your kind of big spotlight guests. How mm-hmm. how the heck did you get Bernie Wrightson to come up to this? That's awesome. We asked him. Yeah. Well, there I mean, you that's go. The weirdest, <laughs> that's the weirdest thing of it is, you know, it seems like, like, you know, the prettiest girl is the one that doesn't get asked to dance. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was really the case of both of them. Like, uh, you know, we just called him and told them, this is what we're trying to do. We would like to have you guys as our special guests. And they said, yes. 
and we were just as amazed as you are. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you you do you you guys like you said you you go to a lot of shows, so you're a known quantity out there. You know, Tony has you know a a, a great name in in the industry as a great artist. So you know, it's it's one thing I can imagine. It makes it easier, not not even if you don't know a creator, but to approach a creator and say, "Hey, we've been there. We do this all the time. This is obviously going to be a, a creator centric and a creator focused show." I'm just assuming that you guys are making this a creator and you know artist and and writer centric, you know, comic. Absolutely. You know, it's it's it doesn't look like it's it's an autograph show or you know a right. comic flea market. I mean, this is this is a comics a comics creator show, right? Yeah, and beyond that, you know, with Tony and I doing as many shows as we do a year, we know what these people need. Mm -hmm. And it's very simple. It's, you know, they want to be treated with respect and, you know. Just a little, like, simple human kindness and dignity, you know. like Right. Don't give them something to eat at their table. Give Mm -hmm. them a place to eat. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. A bottle of freaking water wouldn't hurt, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Simple, simple human. Just a simple like, how are you doing? Like, can I can I get you something? You know, just like basic kindnesses. Honestly, is uh, all it is. Uh, you know, and then beyond that, yeah. Uh, uh, Kendall is a retailer, so he knows what retailers need out of a convention, and hopefully, our combined experiences on this front uh, is will allow us to kind of cater directly to the specific needs of the kind of people that will you know, be setting up with us. So uh, hopefully that results in a, in a, 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 a more fun and profitable show for everyone. And, uh, you know, that, that really seems to be the, the thing that'll make it, I think. Well, I, I know going through it that the, the one thing that makes a show go, I mean, it's, it's a ton of, it's a ton of preparation. It's a, it's a ton of groundwork and, and and all of that stuff is absolutely incredibly important. But if you don't have a really good volunteer base, the day the day of, actually the week of, and especially the days of the convention, you you just can't run one of these shows. Um, how's the um, how's the volunteer base in Cincinnati um, been working up to the show? So far, so good. I mean, obviously, we're not going to know until show day. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who works well with others and, and whatnot. But I mean, we've made it very simple for them. I think, you know, every, all of our volunteers are going to have bright green t-shirts on, so they'll be easily identifiable. Um, everybody you know, seemed pretty, pretty excited to be a part of it. Yeah, oh, we've had, yeah. we've had a few meetings, uh, ahead of time, um, some like street team type stuff too. And, um, yeah, we've got some guys that are really excited, and uh, you know, the, our last couple of meetings, I've been really impressed with how many people showed up. And um, yeah, and you know, we gave them the same speech of of what we're about. You treat everyone with respect. It doesn't matter who they are. You know, nice. you ask every single person, "Do you need anything? Can I get you anything?" Let's um let's talk a little, uh, a little bit more about some of the guests because I mean for for a first year show this is this is incredible we already talked about Art Adams and Bernie Wrights and but uh, you've got um, Jenny Frozen a uh, fellow Chicagoan uh, Jason Aaron uh, Jeremy um, Bastian Ryan Brown um, Jeff Darrow is going to be there Nathan Fox yeah you know, I'm just going right off the top of my head here with a mm-hmm. few of them Tony Harris and Jeremy Hahn uh, Dennis Hopeless um, you got uh, the Reverend Dave John 
Johnson will be there. Um, Tony, of course. Um, Chris Moreno, which I haven't seen Chris in years. So tell him I said. He's so amazing. I, said, oh, I love Chris. Um, 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 Steven Sanders, who I never see at shows anymore, it seems like, mm-hmm. or I just never at the same shows. Uh, Mark Sable, Rick Remender, uh, who you've been a, a longtime uh, collaborator with. Steve Niles, uh, Steve Seeley, Ben Templesmith will be there. I mean, it goes on and on. Stegman, Chris Sprouse, who's awesome. He's a he's an Ohio guy, right? Yep. Yeah, he lives about an hour up the road. Yeah, he's yeah. super nice guy. Oh yeah, uh, him and his wife are both just wonderful people. They're so cool. Uh, uh, Jill Thompson, Ethan Van Skyver, Dave Wachter, um, and then all the guys from uh, from Four Star. So you have uh, mm-hmm. Mike and Sean and Chris and Tim, uh, Chris Burnham, of course. So um, oh, and then you yeah, got we the- have we actually have all of Four yeah. Star. They were like Pokemon. We had to catch all of them. <laughs> Four Star, which I think there are, are there are there now five of them. It's, uh, uh, it's yeah, a Jen, Jenny's in there too. Jenny and, and uh, Sean Dove. And then uh, who's the programmer guy? Josh. Uh, Josh Emmons. Yeah. Jo- oh, we don't have yeah. one. Oh, I, I think we missed you one. You missed one. You missed Pikachu. Slipped through our fingers. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, you've got uh, you've got some media guests. You've got the uh, the awesome uh, Kirby Crackle guys. What's that? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jim Demonakis and uh, and his crew. Which is yep. oh, and Claudio Sanchez. You guys are you have everybody and the whole and the whole My Little Pony crew. I mean, mm-hmm. we got a yeah, we got a good. A good oh yeah, Tony is going to be there. Yeah, we got Tony Fleeks, Katie Cook, and Amy Price. Wow. Um, feel really good about all of this. Yeah, and I skipped over a bunch of people. That was probably a third of of the people that you have there. That was just kind of a few. Uh, of the highlights, yeah, I so. mean, yeah, a, a, a third. Yeah. yeah, that's not even Absolutely. counting like uh, all of our artists alley, which sold out in three months. I mean, wow! Three months starting at the big at at fall last year. Mm-hmm. Like so, by the end of last year, we were pretty much out. <clears throat> That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, so honestly, it's I, I know, and I know that Kara has put a, a ton of work into this because I see I see the posts on Facebook and and Twitter and all that. Do you enjoy being a convention organizer? I miss my family. <laughs> It's a lot of work. It it's, is a ton of work, yeah. but I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love to do it. That's cool. Right? That's I mean, it, it, it is, it's, uh, you know, we're, none of us are getting paid. We are doing this for the love. All the money that we make this year is going straight into next year. Yep. Yeah, it's so, a, it's a. We were talking uh, last week on eleven o'clock. This is it's 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 a lot of fun because you know we're getting into convention season, obviously, and uh, it's it seems actually convention season never ends. But we were talking with our mm-hmm. buddy Zach Crucy, who runs uh, the Appleseed Con mm-hmm. in in Fort Wayne. Uh, mm-hmm. Indiana, and just the the love that he pours into that show, and how he's grown it. I think it's you know the fourth or fifth year coming up, and they're in they're in April, and it's yeah, it's it is it's so much work, but it is so fun putting these together. I mean, I could only I could only handle to do it for two years, and then it was just like okay, you know, I I can't make like you know two dollars an hour. You know, to continue right. to make this show, but it right. was uh, you know. We- I mean, beyond that, we we want to bring something great to Cincinnati. Cincinnati mm-hmm. has a lot of great art stuff, mm-hmm. um, but you know, we see we see these people that we see at every convention, Tony and I, and I see them more than a lot of my own family. So they've become my comic family by default, um, which is great. And you know, it, it's great when you like your family, right? So. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I want to have them come to our house and say, look what we have. This is, this is, you well, know, 
Well, for for I want to be proud of it. For people that haven't been to Cincinnati before, and you know, one of the things about going to a convention that's great is that you get to explore cities that that you don't live in. You get to go, and you know, it's a destination show. Um, What can people who have not been to Cincinnati before? What are some of the things that they um, that they you can and should do while they're there? Uh, You know, if you're not coming to the convention all three days, we have a world class zoo. Um, killer zoo, a great aquarium that's very close to the con. Um, somebody that we are very proud to be partnered with actually is the Cincinnati museum center, which is the actual for real, real reels hall of justice. Um, and they have several museums and an Omnimax theater in there. And that, that in itself, I would say, would be the number one thing to go see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we're going to have a drink and draw there, you know? So Yeah, Friday night uh, after the convention, we're having a drink and draw at, at the museum center in the Natural History Museum. So uh, you'll be able to have beer and pizza with all your favorite creators from the show and uh, draw alongside them. Oh, and- how cool. And and have free run of the Natural History Museum, so you get to draw uh, dinosaur skeletons and polar bears. Oh, and bring your camera for sure. Neil Armstrong. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Neil That's Armstrong's cool. spacesuit is there because he re- he retired to Cincinnati. Uh, there's uh, there's just tons of really really cool stuff that you don't get to see every day. Yeah, uh, so that is a ticketed event. But again, all that money is going for the yeah. building. You know, that goes to the museum center to keep up the building. Yeah, because I mean it's an amazing. It's a museum center, and it's a, a you know a real uh, kind of epicenter for education and science education for our area. But it's also a, a really impressive uh, Art Deco like masterpiece building. Uh, but with that comes that it's an old building that needs a lot of maintenance. Sure, uh, sure. And so, yeah, our our event here, our drink and draw, all the money from that, from the tickets to the 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 beer and pizza every 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 nickel raised by it goes toward the toward the museum center to to help them just you know keep keep things going and uh and in exchange for that we get to hang out in the freaking hall of justice (laughs) in the museum center at night and drink beer with some polar bears yeah i mean come on it's rad as all hell like i you got to see this thing in person to really like take it in i mean it's a beautiful place and uh and then also we're doing an art auction on saturday night nice. and, and a, a portion of those, that money goes goes also to the to the museum center so that sounds perfect and you know and then what you've got to you, you you have to have a chili five way or something while you're out there right oh yeah you gotta get a you gotta get a, a skyline five way yeah yeah skyline or gold star some yeah. people have different opinions but don't just uh, get a bowl of the chili go on and get the spaghetti too or you're not doing it right yeah exactly a lot of what, people come people? in and like oh i tried the bowl of chili it's not good i'm like did you just get chili and they're like yeah i'm like that's why yeah you gotta have it with the spaghetti it's a, yeah it's a, so you mean people have opinions about about chili in cincinnati oh yeah oh yeah yeah there's yeah. some some people uh, prefer skyline some people prefer gold star tony no. and i and uh we are raising our daughter to be a strictly skyline we're, family we're skyline <laughs> now Not um, gold C- star. cincinnati cho- it's cinnamon is, is cinnamon and chocolate cinnamon and chocolate okay yeah. i knew it was i knew about the cinnamon like so egg. yeah yeah the uh, we, when we lived in Kansas City, I actually got so homesick for it that I found a copycat recipe online, and it takes 
something ridiculous, like six and a half, seven hours to make it because you have to boil the meat for that long. And it's, yeah. That's hilarious. We really sell yeah. people and it sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. I know that, I know people from Cincinnati. They love, they love the Cincinnati Reds and, and chili. And it, but Cincinnati chili, and it's and it's a it's a different thing. So and then hopefully they will add a third thing, and that's the uh, the Cincy Comic Con. Absolutely, oh, yeah. absolutely. Well, so once again, you guys are are September sixth to the eighth. Um, mm-hmm. You can check out everything online at CincyComicCon dot com. Um, how much for uh, how much for uh, for tickets for the for the days or for the whole weekend? Uh, Saturday and Sunday single day tickets are fifteen dollars each. Oh, that's nothing. And then, or that's pre sale. I think they're mm-hmm. going to be a little bit higher at the door, twenty dollars mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and then uh, weekend pass is fifty bucks. That's amazing. Fifteen. You lit twice the price. And, and the weekend pass tw- gets you on the Friday preview day too. Wow. And that's and seriously from folks from the guest list. If you are anywhere within two or three hours of Cincinnati with that guest list for, for $20 for a day or 50 for the, for the weekend, you'd be, you'd be criminal to, to not go and check this out. Guys, I am so proud of what you guys are doing. It looks amazing. So I cannot wait to, you know, like I said, as someone that's put one of these together, you know, I know how hard it is and, and that you guys came up to do our show the one year meant so much to us. So I know we that we had uh, so much fun with that too. Oh, it was awesome. I know that karma is going to smile on you guys because you've put a lot, a lot into this in the years leading up to it. So can't wait to hear about what a success it was. Thank you so Thanks much, so Chris. Much, Chris. Yeah, right. I really appreciate it. Oh. And uh, uh, before we leave, Tony, um, anything that you're working on coming up that, uh, that folks out there should know about? Uh, well, I'm kind of, uh, refocusing right now. Uh, you know, obviously the show has become kind of our immediate <laughs> focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to do some gallery art, uh, coming up soon. Uh, try something a little different, but I've, you know, I've got, I just finished Deadpool, uh, my run on that recently and, uh, trade paperbacks out now. We've got a hardcover that was just solicited. So, Keep an eye out for that thing. And uh, the second Fear Agent Omnibus uh, is right around the corner. We'd awesome. hit some some delays. and uh, It I wouldn't to, be Fear Agent if it didn't have a door or two. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, true to form. We had to <laughs> uh, uh, clean some stuff up and uh, uh, hit, hit a couple snags. But, it'll, uh, that is, that, that's the last sign of the apocalypse <clears throat> is whenever the last Fear Agent Omnibus it ships. It's it's like it's like the seventh seal. Well, I think I think when 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 fear agent stuff starts shipping like clockwork, that's when you know <laughs> something horrible is about to happen. Nice. Uh, as long as as long as fear agent uh, is is plagued with with issues, <laughs> will be everything is normal. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah, we just we just got all that stuff uh, ready to rock. Uh, so hopefully, it should be getting pushed out here in in pretty short order. Like I said, we. We had it pretty far along, and we, we had a couple snags that we had to get cleaned up. But we are back in working order, and that thing hopefully will be out uh, uh, right away. We're, we're shooting for um, toward the end of this year, okay. uh, ho- hopefully not too far into next year if it's, 
Hopefully, I don't, not, I don't not know what the solicitation thing will turn into, but cool. But and, yeah. then, and then anyone that that follows you guys on on Twitter or Facebook um, wins the half marathon. Oh, oh yeah! Oh God, uh, <laughs> November seventeenth. I haven't awesome. ran in like a week and a half. I feel so guilty. That's well, you. I tell you what, you guys inspire me. You you inspire me and my dogs that get me up at like. A quarter to five in the morning. They inspire me to get up and run. So it's it sounds been... like you need to get some different dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One in particular, and, and follow or follow different people, people on Facebook. On Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've, I haven't run a hundred feet in my entire life, and now we're trying to run thirteen and a half or thirteen point one miles or whatever. It's awesome. It's uh, it's been a tough road to hoe, but the effort has definitely been worth it. It's uh. It's been pretty awesome. Well, it's and, I good. mean, Kara, Kara's clearly more cut out for it than I am. I, <laughs> all the any times we post on Facebook that like are impressive mm-hmm. are always that's always her. Like I'm a guaranteed five minutes to a half hour behind. Like I, I lose about five minutes every mile, and she holds pretty tight on her on her pace. She's plugging I, along. That's awesome. I, I just fall apart. Like I just pass him and just keep going. I'm well, you don't you don't even run with him. You dust him and move oh, on, huh? Dude, oh yeah. No, I can't. Now, Wait for him. Yeah, now that we run on a trail, she just disappears, uh, and that's it's almost better because when we were on a track, she was lapping me all the time, and that gets really disheartening. <laughs> that's <laughs> terrible <laughs> and hilarious. <laughs> that, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, good you know, for you, kid. Admit it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, guys, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And I definitely want an update on uh, on the success of the of the convention. So, everyone out there, uh, um, check out the uh, the Cincy Comic Con. And seriously, if you're within uh, within two or three hours of Cincinnati, or heck, if you want to catch a late flight and fly in for it, it would be worth it. I mean, but, realistically, we're only. Four hours from Chicago, so yeah, we're come on down. I mean, we're an hour flight from anywhere from Kansas City to Toronto to, I mean, you know, it's we're we're like amazingly centrally located. Yep. You know, uh, an hour flight from damn near anywhere. So, do it, check it out, folks. Yeah, do it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, I can't imagine uh, this level of talent in a in a a small setting uh you know it just seems like something that people are are bound to get excited about so god willing (laughs) well it sounds it sounds i i can't imagine it not being a success so well at this point we've built the machine so hopefully (laughs) you can sit back and watch it run all right cool thank you guys thank Thank you you so much